Yes. I'm glad you're marrying April. <laughs> you should see her. I think she really loves you a lot. <laughs> Still, it takes a lot of guts. You got balls, Grandpa. More than me. Angus. Superman isn't brave. Did you take your pill this morning? <laughs> you don't understand. He's smart, handsome, even decent. But he's not brave. Now, listen to me. Superman is indestructible. And you can't be brave if you're indestructible. It's people like you and your mother. People who are different and can be crushed and know it. Yet they keep going on out there every time. I'm not brave, Grandpa. one second earlier, it started to go into the second segment there. I meant to cut it after he goes, but you keep going out there every time. Because now it leads into the whole thing about how I just yeah, want to dance. Kind of a bummer note to end on. No, I meant to, because now he's going into the whole thing about I just want to dance. I can't do his voice. Charlie Calvert's voice. I just want to dance. I don't know how he speaks. Where he talks about just wanting to dance with Melissa Lefevre just one time. I just want to have my moment. Well, if it makes you feel better, the movie ends on a fantastically high note. So there you go. Angus! That is a, that's a fantastic film. It's Kathy Bates, George C. Scott, Rita Moreno, uh, whatever. That I don't even know if I should say she's hot because I don't even know how she old how old she's in that film. She's the girl who is who Rita Moreno? No, no, no. No, I don't know who Rita Moreno was. Marina, Rita Moreno was, I believe, somewhere between Dirt and Quartz. That was her age in that film. Um, no, the hot blonde girl who plays uh, yeah, Melissa Lefevre. Well, she's not too young now. I can almost assure you of that. She's not. I think she lives in the Portland area, actually. Right. That's no, not true. I really do think so. I think she's some. Um, somebody sent me a link. What? She's a painter. Really? And a really good one. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll talk about that. What in a is second. her name? I don't know, but we're going to find out. Uh, hello, it's four minutes and eighteen seconds after the hour of eleven in this the month of November in the year of our Lord two thousand and seven. Thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson excursion into whimsy. Uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us today. We're here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, and uh, welcome to Day 12. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 503 You want to weigh in with your comments, your questions, your clarifications, your comments, your two cents, uh, your what have you. Richie Bristol is standing by. Phone in hand, bathed in only the finest of colognes, waiting to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, or the just plain awful. Yeah, she was 16. Really? Uh-huh. Well, I'm saying she was aesthetically a very pleasing girl. That's all I'm saying. And she's like 27. Now, she's your age. She's my age. She's, in fact, your age now. See, I don't feel bad about that at she's all. She's actually one year older than me. What is her name? Her name's Ariana Richards. Ariana Richards. Excellent. Uh, 
we'll, we'll talk. Well, who knows? I mean, you know, we always, I don't want to get off and do a whole thing before we even started the program. But we're always finding out about people who live here in Portland and, you know, whose Portland residency was previously unknown to us. Um, I guess it's not Anthony Kiedis. I guess Anthony Kiedis comes here like his dad lives here. But then it was just in the, the... Well, you told me about this, and then it was actually in the Willamette a couple of weeks ago about what's his guts from My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then uh, uh, what's his name? Lardass from Stand By Me. i got to figure out his real name before we talk to him today. It's Andy something or other. Andy Lindbergh? Lindman? I don't know what it is. We'll figure out his real name. We're going to talk to him later today. All right, let's uh, get all of ourselves here. Hello, it's 503-733-2970. So that Angus clip. Um, it, so we were talking yesterday at the beginning of the program about this movie, Angus, which is from 1995, starring, as I said, Kathy Bates, Georgie Scott, Rita Moreno, and then introducing Charlie Talbert, also James Vanderbeek, uh, in it. But I think before Dawson's Creek, pre-Dawson's Creek, Maybe just as Dawson's Creek was getting off the ground. Um, and so the movie came to the theaters. It played to about nine people, two of whom were Sarah and myself, and then it vanished. Um, and it has never been put on DVD. It's not even on the, the VHS. is out of print. You can't find it anywhere. Uh, and so Dante, the cab driver, tracked it down yesterday at a junk store. And he immediately went home and ripped out that section about the Superman isn't brave, oh, which is a awesome. fantastic, and sent it to me last night. It was in my it was no it was in my bulk mail folder. So thankfully, I checked my spam folder last night, and I've discovered I've been complaining for the longest time about how I can't find any of the how sometimes people will send me large attachments, and then I can never find them. And it turns out that a lot of them are going into my spam folder. So I got to start checking that. Um, but anyway, so he sent that to me last night, so I was able to. And I guess he, I think he's going to be dropping off the movie uh, today at the front desk or something, and I'll. Uh, Back it up on the DVD at home, and then I'll probably just give the VHS copy to you. Oh, awesome. I'll go home and burn it to DVD, and then I'll have to give it to you on VHS. So there you go. Angus. Excellent. Wonderful. Uh, and then so that led Sarah to comment that the girl who plays Melissa Lefevre in Angus, who she's uh, Angus's love interest, she's also, by the way, the girl in Jurassic Park that refers to uh, re- refers to the, the brontosaurus as a metasaurus. She says, are they uh, metasauruses? And they're hiding up in the tree. And she's one of the chicks that gets, uh, one of the kids that gets chased through the kitchen by the velociraptors. It starts the sexy Jeff Goldblum as well. Yes, yes. Oh, cool. it is. Oh, so I guess she lives in Dallas, Oregon. And so Dallas, is not da- not the Dallas, but Dallas. Dallas. I can never remember where Dallas, Oregon is. Tim Riley, does the CBS Radio News Department know the whereabouts of Dallas, Oregon? I do. Thank <laughs> <laughs> Guess what's happening right now? What's I that? turned it on. Your microphone was off. Oh. I've been here for a murder trial. A long time ago. Were you acquitted? I was. Okay. So it looks like what? it's about 20 miles west of Salem. Uh, it's a quaint town. Is it quaint? And by quaint, do you mean hick? Yeah. Okay. And I have her email address, too, Rick, if you want it. Uh, really? Do you? Uh-huh. How is it that you have her email address? Never mind. I don't want to know. All right. Anyway, uh, hi there. It's 503-733-2970. You want to call? Uh, let's see. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. I'm drooling a lot today. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right. Big show today. Here's what's coming up. First and foremost, yes, the rumors are true. We will be discussing uh, Stand By Me's famous pie-eating contest with Lardass Hogan, Andy Lindbergh, Lindman. Richie, please, Lindbergh, 
Like the blimp that blew up. Thank you. Thanks so much. Andy Lindbergh, Lardass Hogan from Stand By Me, who, who I guess up, up until very recently was, in fact, a resident of our fair city. Uh, we'll be speaking with him later on. Lisa Desjardins is in Las Vegas preparing for tonight's uh, Hillary Smackdown. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us in New York City, where the CBS news writers are threatening to go on strike. James Roop will be joining us from Las Vegas, where O.J. is about to be effed harder than anybody has ever been effed in the history of effing. It's just fantastic. I got so much to say about that, but I got to put a pin in it right now because otherwise he's just gonna just gonna take over the whole show like some sort of judicial uh, kudzu. Um, glorious bastard of the week. Uh, we will announce the AM 970 glorious bastard of the week uh, later on. What else? Uh, I think we have a top five coming up today, but I might be wrong about that. Well, that's, I mean, that's a big pile of stuff right there. Um, so, so that is uh, that is all coming up today. It's going to get underway with that uh, shortly. Uh, Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. Yes, indeed, O.J. will go on trial. Well, now the city commissioners want to rename Southwest 4th Avenue, which runs right in front of City Hall and the mayor's office, to Cesar Chavez Boulevard. Guess who's against that move? The mayor. Then Governor Kulingowski wants illegal aliens to get driver's licenses, even though the same move in New York went down in flames. A Portland woman has been arrested on a Craigslist swindle after posing as a property owner collecting deposits. A first grader has been suspended for drawing a stick figure shooting another stick figure. An Oregon man is crossing the U.S. on a horse to protest TV news. Corey Ham is auctioning off his belongings on eBay. And bones of a dinosaur shaped like a vacuum cleaner have been found. Bones of a dinosaur shaped like a vacuum cleaner. That's correct, yes. Okay. And Corey Haim, not Feldman. Haim. Not Corey Hart. Haim. Corey Haim's the blonde one, right? Not, shut up, not Corey Glover. No. Not Corey Everson. No. Not Corey Everhart. No. I'm wondering how long of the hell could Corey Haim already auctioned some stuff off. That's just sad. Like, you think he'd like get a little... Dignity. Like dignity. <laughs> I remember he auctioned off, like, a rotting tooth <laughs> a couple years ago. Oh, Hollywood sucks. All right, there you go. Or Corey Haim auctioning off his dignity, his that's, soul, his pride. That's so sad. He's future. back to the old eBay again. Yeah, that's Well, eBay is sort of the... Um, eBay is is sort of the the I don't I don't know the cork board at the local Fred Meyer where you can put up you know roommate wanted must be Christian oh Jesus all right and it, before I do anything else here let me see have I do I actually have the email that went along with this uh, I, I would like now before we do anything else we, we've got a, a the whole pile of stuff to get to today so we've got. Uh, we've got the Glorious Pastor, that we've, we've got Lisa Desjardins, we've got Steve Castle, I'm James Roop. Uh, we have uh, Andy Lindbergh from Stand By Me, who we're going to talk to. Uh, we do have the breakdown of in what countries we are gigantic. And I'm going to get to one of the things we're going to do today is I have this. We always talk about the pile of news that we're never able to get to, which is the stories that stack up and the things that we're never able to really, that we don't have time for. So what I'm going to do today is later on I'm going to set aside one segment of the program and I'm just going to go through and give you the first two sentences uh, from every uh, from every piece of news in this pile that I've got right here. So we'll get to that. Um, a couple of things before we move any further. Let me just say this. I, there are certain times when you see headlines, and I'm just going to talk about this just a little bit here, and then we'll talk more about it uh, with Roop later on. You would think that they would just know at this point not to say certain things when you're talking about, oh, I don't know, O.J. Simpson. Like when they ask his lawyer, how is O.J. responding? So if you haven't, if you haven't heard this, so O.J., last night around 5 o'clock, I think it was, the word came down that O.J. now has to go on trial 
in Las Vegas where they are going to find him guilty, guilty, goddamned guilty. And we all know that's going to happen. And they're going to send him away to live in a very small room for the rest of his natural life. These are all things we know to be true. There is no jury on earth. I mean, I can't, I shouldn't say that because then I'm just tempting fate and it's going to, they'll acquit him again. But, so they, they asked OJ and they asked his lawyer their reaction to this last night. I don't even know which is funnier. OJ's lawyer, this was his response when they said, hey, how do you feel about OJ having to go on trial again? And OJ's, OJ's lawyer said, he's not going to worry about it. He's going to go spend his time golfing. Here's why that's an ill-advised oh, phrase. What an ass. <laughs> Here's why this is ill-advised. Because, of course, that is exactly what O.J. did following his acquittal on the <gasps> criminal trial after he said he was going to go find the real killers. What are you going to do, O.J.? I'm going to spend all my free time trying to find Nicole's real killers. And then, of course, the real killers were apparently between holes 16 and 17 and occasionally in the pro shop bar because that's where O.J. spent all of his time. So you would think on the list of things not to say when your client, Orenthal James Simpson, has been remanded for trial, saying he's going to spend his time golfing would be near the top of the list. Here's the better quote, though. When they asked O.J. himself, they said, Hey, so, uh, Juice, how do you feel about having to go on trial where you're going to be uh, effed like nobody's business? O.J. said, As always, I rely on the jury system. And you just have to wonder what the genesis... I mean... I don't even know how to feel about that phrase. Because, first of all, the jury system, I think, at this point has... I think O.J. has, has had all the bites of that apple that he's going to get. And secondly, I was talking with Susan Reynolds about this. In a weird way, in a weird, delusional, naive way, you do have to figure that I guess he's speaking from the heart because the jury system has always treated O.J. well in this country. He has benefited from the 12-person jury uh, you know, system that we've got set up in our uh, in our judicial world. So there you go. Um, before we do anything else, and then i got a few other things to get to, and then we'll do some other stuff and we'll break. Um, I do have to make this one... Oh, I'm sorry. I just hung up on everybody who was calling in. I just hit the busy all button by accident. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Everybody was on hold. I hit the busy all button, which, as you might imagine, it busies up all the lines. And then I hit it again and inadvertently hung up on everybody. I'm sorry. If you were calling in, you'll have to do that again. My apologies. Um... Here's the great thing about this O.J. case, and this is a thing that nobody in the media has really talked about yet. I'm not saying it's being suppressed. I'm just saying it's not really one of those things that anybody's talking about. So I'm going to be at the forefront of making this observation. Sometimes uh, you will hear folks such as myself, the people who had a few too many years left to their own devices and sat around the room, you know, the room at home reading the, the encyclopedia, will refer to things as being like a Greek punishment. A Greek punishment, when someone says that, that is basically, that, that, that is a figure of speech which means that the punishment is very ironic or fitting or uh, fulfilling some kind of karma. That usually there is an unlikely but very appropriate quirk or twist uh, in one's punishment. So, uh, for example, um, here, here's an example of a Greek punishment. Let's say, uh, uh, let's say that you are a... Um, Let's say you are a compulsive thief. Let's say you suffer from kleptomania. If you were, in fact, to go in to steal something, but in the process of stealing something, you were to trigger some sort of an avalanche of goods and merchandise off the shelf, which then smothered you, that would, in fact, be a Greek punishment because you were hoist by your own petard. You were, you were killed by your, own, you know, by, your, by your own vices and your own flaws. O.J. is now about to be screwed by the greatest Greek punishment in the history of all the world because... 
and you will hear this discussed later on, I guarantee you. What no one has really pointed out is, and this is absolutely true, O.J., as we all know by now, it went in with some guys, allegedly, with guns, allegedly, to steal back some of his merchandise because he wanted to be selling it. Now, that's when he got hit for robbery and kidnapping and, you know, assault with a deadly weapon and so forth. Do you know the item that he was really intent on getting back from this guy? Tim? No. No. This is so great, and this is totally true. The item that apparently, according to most of the published reports, the item that was of the utmost importance to O.J. Simpson that he get back from this guy, the reason why he is now going to court again, he went back in to get the suit that he was wearing when he was acquitted for killing Nicole. That's what it was so important to him. I mean, there was, there was some other stuff. There were some plaques and some footballs and some whatever. But apparently, O.J. felt like the big-ticket item there, the thing that he was going to be able to sell for the most someday, the reason he went back in is to get the suit that he was wearing when they acquitted his dumb ass in the first place. How perfect is that? Because, of course, that means that if he hadn't allegedly killed Nicole in the first place, he wouldn't, in fact, be facing life in prison now. So he allegedly kills Nicole, goes on trial... And the suit from that trial is now the reason that he was breaking into this place in Las Vegas, a crime which will almost certainly send him to prison for the rest of his life. You know, that's some final destination crap going on right there. That is where the universe decides that your intended fate, simply that you eluded it the first time, and the long, cold hand of karmic reality comes and grabs you years later and pulls you down. That is wonderful. It really is just fantastic. Um... All right, uh, before we uh, move on to anything else, I would like to draw your attention to rickemerson.com. Please now to be going to rickemerson.com and looking at the photo there. And uh, I think I may have deleted the email that it Ew, they're freaked out, are? I think, yes. I think I, may have, I think I may have deleted the accompanying photo or the accompanying email that went with this. But this is a photograph from a, this is a photograph from, I guess, a recent fashion show. Let's see if I have the email that, uh, that went Her with head this. is just strange looking. Here we go. This is at rickemerson.com. It is labeled Visual Aid uh, for Thursday's program. You go to rickemerson.com, you'll see this photograph. This guy says, Rick, you know, occasionally Howard Stern goes on about women with nice bodies and ugly faces, known as butter faces. Here's a spokesmodel for that type of woman. This is the daughter of Demi Moore and Bruce Willis. So sad that she takes after her father looks wise. I get the same awkward feeling with her as I do with baby Ricky. I hope someone gets down with this syndrome, which I'm sure they will, uh, which I'm sure they will considering the fame of her parents. Uh, there are some less flattering pics around. This is probably the best one ever taken of, here, of her. I'd love to see your take on her. So there you go. So if you go to rickemerson.com, you'll see this woman's uh, photograph. And so this you know is... who that is, right? No. That's Rumor Willis. That's Bruce Willis and Demi oh, yeah, Moore. That's what I'm, yo, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. But she doesn't... Like, she doesn't... She's not famous for any other reason, right? She doesn't act or anything. I mean... So this is... Yeah, this is the daughter of Demi Moore and Bruce Willis uh, at rickemerson.com. And I have to say... It really almost looks like a bad photoshopping. No, she's, she has a total potato head. It's huge. It's not even that. She's got Bruce Campbell's head. I mean, she it's has... Enormous. And, like, her features are about 75% smaller than they should be. <laughs> it's like these little features that are stuck on this enormous head. No, her, her, head is, her head is too big. Her jaw is too long. Her eyes, lips, and nose are too small. And then they're stuck on the body of somebody completely different. 
I, and I realize I'm not describing a photograph, and this is radio, and it's an oral medium and so forth, but I really strongly urge you at your first opportunity to go to rickemerson.com and take a look at this so-called woman. Um, and I, the reason I can say all these things with impunity is because, you know, she's wealthy and I'm not. She has famous parents and I don't. She's probably going to be rich her whole life and famous her whole life, and I will not. So I, I, feel, I feel perfectly fine making this observation. That is really unfortunate. That is, and you got to figure, you're looking at this, and that is with the best makeup. That is with the best hair that money can possibly buy. God only knows if she's already had plastic surgery at this point, but I can't imagine what they would do for her. I mean, apart from doing the whole John Woo transplanting of her face onto someone else. There really is nothing, unless they, like, do bone shaving. <laughs> Pardon me, we're going to have to shave down your bones. Have you, you ever seen that giant jaw? Did you ever see that documentary about the wrestler China, that female wrestler? Yeah. You know China is. How they did that thing of like, they had to do that operation where they broke her jaw and then reset it, but they had to do it like eight times because her jaw was so massive. My sister had that. Really? Because she had an underbite. Yeah, and so she had to get it broken and reset. I actually should have, but I was too old. You know, see, and I have, I have an overbite, and then some of that stuff they'll just correct with just retainer. You just learn to live with it. That wasn't the fault. China didn't have an underbite. She just had a pterodactyl jaw. I mean, it just, she had like locked jaw from the He-Man cartoon jaw going on. It was like out to here. All right, we'll do some of these uh, calls, and then we'll uh, move on here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, I wanted to say, Rick, you've got a great show. You're top of your game. Tim Riley rules. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, this is just one guy, one big guy here saying, uh, let's let the OJ thing go, because as I was on hold to say that, you actually came up with a poignant uh, uh, statement in indicating how the whole thing has now come full circle. And I, and I was I was a bit bewildered. Wow, Rick, you've done it again. An astute point out of here there to overanalyzed and, uh, and o- overspoken topic of popular culture. So now I just feel like... Can I'm we so all lost like... within this phone call. I don't know if I'm being criticized or complimented. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just a white dude saying, hey, you're a white dude too. Uh, you know, we can just say, who cares if O.J. did it or not at this point, really? Yeah, he probably did. We'll just let him go. Who cares? I, I'm just, I'm a bit fatigued by seeing all the white people with clinched fists. O.J.'s got to get his. I don't really know that it's, I don't really know that it's white people as such, and I'm certainly not rooting against O.J. because he is black. I'm rooting against... Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't implying that. I don't think that's the case. I just, I understand, see, like me in the mid-90s, we're the same age. You saw the trial, you're like, oh, this guy's guilty. <laughs> but he had the most expensive attorneys. And since then, my perspective has been, whoever has the most expensive attorneys is guilty. And yet... It is, <laughs> That's I, I, a really I, interesting point, actually. <laughs> that is actually a really salient observation. That you can do some sort of graph, uh, whereas as the, as the dollar value of your legal representation goes up, so does the presumption of your guilt. See also Phil Spector. Right, well, I mean, That's we a fantastic hear... observation. I never did thought we, about that. Did, did we ever hear about a dream team of lawyers before that? It didn't seem like No, it. I think they did create that phrase, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think that's fact. where that came from. So now I'm saying like 14 or 13 years later, let's just... Okay, well, so here's, what he here's did. My thing. Here's my thing about this. Just, just so you know where I'm coming from. A, we're not going to spend, obviously, as much time on the OJ. No one is. As much time this, this go-around as anybody did in the past. Because, again, everybody's sort of still full from the last meal we had with that guy. Um... I will say this, however, the O.J. thing, and I think people have sort of lost sight of this because, not that I'm brighter than anybody else, but just because I think about crap, uh, that I think other people sort of don't sometimes, that the O.J. thing is just 
It is the most microcosmic court case in the history of this country because every single issue that faces us as a country, every single thing we fight about, every single thing that causes there to be a ruckus in this country, it was all represented in the OJ trial. It's men and women and race relations and money and fame and sports and the legal system and cops versus citizens that they patrol. I mean, it's everything. And here's the great thing about it. It just is perfect to me. This is just like the. This is like an afterword in a in a fantastic novel. You know what I mean? This is like a. This is like a great hidden track on a wonderful compact disc. Uh, the 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 idea that after all is said and done, that the, the the guy in the estimation of most people kills two uh two two innocents, walks on it, and walks around free and still rich for 15 years and at the end is undone Richard Nixon style by a third rate burglary to get back clothing that was only famous because he killed them in the first place See, the, 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 the just fact is, is unbelievable that you can that you do actually make it compelling after all these years I tip my hat to you what I I'll just close it there, but to say really quickly to Sarah, did you find out that that billboard I was talking about last month in front of the uh, the, the fake bomb thing at PIR is real? There was a KOIN uh, news billboard right there. I thought, did you the, say it was CBS radio or, or What are we coin? talking about? Well, it was about a month ago. I called it anyway. It was there, and it said, it said CBS news at the bottom of it, and then coin six bringing news home. But anyway, <laughs> Tim Riley rules, guys. Great Thank show. you. All right, Thanks. I don't know what we're talking about. There was a banner, remember when they were doing the terror drill? Yeah. And he said that he saw a huge billboard right in front of, like, the fake bridge that right. said, you know, coin news thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. They like, were sponsoring now. it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hey. I was going to try and sound profound, but after that last call, I'm probably just going to sound like an idiot, but that wouldn't be the first welcome, time. Welcome to my world, sir. Okay. Have you ever read a book by Robin Cook called Vector? No. Vector? No. Oh. Vector, yeah. Well, it's the same kind of thing after you think that, you know, you've gotten away with it. Ha, 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 ha. Whack. Karma comes up and <laughs> smacks you on the back of the head. Um, I, I hate to... You might want to get the wah, wah, wah ready. Uh, wait, hold because, on. Because... As long as you don't say don't squeeze the juice. I promise. All right, go ahead. Okay. Um... O.J. for years and years and years was saying, I am innocent, I am innocent. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit, blah, blah, all right. of that, until it was dogmatic. Now his karma has run over his dogma. You get one wah. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. <laughs> Best to ever. Bye, guys. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Good afternoon, crew. Hello, what's up? Um, about rumor uh, Willis. Yes. I believe she did, in fact was in a movie with her dad. It, it, I mean, as what? Um, well, it was a movie about three years ago that he was a cop, and these uh, kids broke into um, a house, and it was a, a really secure house, like out in the hills in right. California or whatever. And she played the daughter of the owner of this house, who the, who the bad guys, you know, killed or right. whatever. And Bruce was a cop who had to go in and try and save the kids, and it was a young boy that actually helped Bruce. Now, how old was she How her. old was she at the time? I want to say she was probably, I don't know, 16. So how is old it, is, is she now? Hostage? Is it hostage? Yeah. yeah. That so how, how old is she now, then, Sarah? Do we know? Because um, you got to wonder if she's past the if she's past the stage where they can hope that she grows out of it. She's born in '88. So she's, she's 20. 
Almost. Yeah, that's unfortunate. All right. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, there you go. Yeah, I mean, look. I, she has. She's just totally freaky looking. She has this huge head, and she dyed her hair all completely platinum blonde like a month ago. Yeah. And it just looked really bad. And she's got that thing where her head is like, her head is shaped like a piece of candy corn. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what it is. I mean, I hate to sound cruel, but I mean... I think it looks like a potato. I mean, it really is just... And you, it is the way that nature cruelly operates sometimes, that the way that it takes features from each parent. You know what I mean? That it just decides, and now we will take your entire facial structure from Bruce Willis, young girl. I mean, that's got to, you know... That's got to be unfortunate. Hi, you're on the. That is, the, you know, that is that. That's that's the way that nature balances favors out. You know, she's rich and she's famous, but she's a woman who looks like Bruce Willis. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Yeah, is this me? Yes, sir. Uh, Hi, how are you doing? This is Ryan in Portland, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you, sir. What's up? Well, I just wanted to call. Uh, Rumor Willis. She was actually in Striptease. She played Demi Moore's daughter in that movie back when she was like twelve. Oh, so this is, are they one of those couples that is constantly putting their own kids in every films? movie that she's been in? Either Demi Moore or uh, Bruce Willis has been. Uh, warp them young. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Excellent. All right, love the show, man. Thanks. Tim Riley rocks. Sarah, hi. Hi. <laughs> you just I love hi. this. Thanks so much. Bye now. Everyone's like Tim Riley's a genius. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> that's a it's a perfunctory acknowledgement of your existence. Rick, a great show. Tim rules. Sarah exists. Uh, all right. I don't think we have any. Uh, I don't think we have any time to do anything else. I don't. And I after after the teasing that I was going to get all this crap. All right, Tim. Do you have this thing about Santa's not being told not to say ho? Oh yeah, I have that. Okay, fantastic. Uh, we'll get to that. Five zero three seven three three two nine seven. We take a break here. Come back. Steve Kastenbaum later on. Uh, James Roop, Lisa Desjardins, Tim Riley, and Andy Lindbergh from Stand By Me. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson. people. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Now, people are sending me, like, those spy magazines separated at birth things about Rumor Willis. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just, let me get this out of the way. About uh, Rumor Willis. Rumor? I barely knew her. All right. Um, this is just one of her, the, the, uh, the email subject line, I can't form any sentences today. The email subject line says, I think I found a picture of Rumor Willis as a blonde. and <laughs> just a picture of Beavis. Okay, That's pretty accurate. She looks it is, it's terrible. How about this one? This one says, this is from uh, one of our online listeners. Uh, says, hey, the, uh, the subject line is, WTF is on your blog. Hey, the podcast isn't out yet, so I'm trying to figure out who or what that is on your blog. Any relation to Ricky Lake? Hot body, but sadly, a Ricky Lake face. And then it says, attention, piggish mail statement coming up. I'd totally hit that if I had a sturdy paper bag, though. Unless it's a dude. That isn't a dude, is it? Is it? Is that a dude? Or is it a former model for one of those every baby is a blessing billboards? It's a terrible thing to say. All right. Now people are just sending me nothing but like photo galleries of Rumor Willis. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Coming up here in just skosh, uh, we'll talk to uh, CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum joining us from New York. <clears throat> Pardon me. Later on, James Roop in Los Angeles, Lisa Desjardins. Um, oh, i got to remember to ask her about the Hillary thing. Hillary John McCain clip. Hillary John McCain clip. i got to ask him about that. Uh, let me get a couple of these here, and then we'll uh, move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. 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 Good morning, Elliot. Hi there. Uh, Hello. Who is this? Ah, uh, this is Gabriel. Hi, Gabriel. How are you doing? Hey, I just miss Scotty J. Well, as do we all. We all miss him. I don't think when we talked to him a couple weeks, you know, we had to call his ass again because... 
I called him and I said, hey, Scotty, A, how you doing? And B, do you want a chance to come in the studio and interview uh, the guy from Loverboy? Because as, as Scotty was always like, we got to get Loverboy on the show. I love that band. And so we get the chance to interview them. I forwarded him all the information, and I said, let me know when you can come in the studio and do it, and we'll book Loverboy, and you can come in, you can come back to the show triumphantly uh, to interview Mike Reno, and then I never hear back from him again. Well, that kind of sucks, because uh, I was just going to suggest that it would be nice if he just checks in now and again, because, you know, sooner or later, he's going to be back knocking at your door, man. I think so. Well, when we talked to him last time, this is, what, 10 days ago, he had been... When we talked to him last time, he had already been at his new job for, I think, a month, and we we just asked him flat out, so have you made any money yet? And he just kind of said, well, no. So, I mean, you know, sad as it may seem to uh, to say this, he was actually ahead of the game when he was working here, which really is depressing. So, well, we'll give him a call later on today. We'll find out what he's up to, sir. Right on, Rick. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. There you go. That's uh, Gabriel. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Hey. Hey, definition of a diehard fan? Yes. Huddled around a transistor radio in the hospital with my wife. Okay, first of all, can I just tell you this? When you said, because we were talking about Rumor Willis, when you said the definition of a diehard fan, I thought you were going to tell me you got a picture of John McClane uh, or Hans Gruber uh, tattooed on your back somehow. No, no, no. That's tomorrow we're going to do that. Fantastic. I'm sorry. So say again, so you are where? I'm in the hospital with my wife. Uh, I hope everything's okay, although I say now, and now as I say that, I realize that's probably not the case since you're in the hospital. Uh, that's all right. Hey, best show ever. You guys take care. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right, bud. All right. There you go. All right. Well, that was a weird call. I mean, not a bad call. Just strange. Hey, you know why I wish I lived in New York? Huh. Struck out cast stage teleplays. The cast of Saturday Night Live and 30 Rock are mounting stage versions of their shows, which have been knocked out by the writer's strike. The productions will be staged at a small theater in Chelsea. They're going to perform their shows on stage. That's pretty good. But I thought all of the stagehands were on strike, too. Didn't we talk to Steve? Or maybe that's just Broadway. Um, let's see. They're, they're filming at the... 150-seat Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on West 22nd. Saturday Night Live and 30 Rock. Oh, how cool would that be? It would be really cool, actually. But I don't know. This whole writer's... Well, they're striking because most of the performers on those shows are also their own writers. Do you get the feeling... And I just... Before I weigh weigh in on this... See, now... Now I'm perversely curious about the guy huddled over the transistor radio in the hospital. Not so much about whatever the condition is. Obviously, that's his own business. But I'm just saying... Like, what, where is he huddled? Like, is he, is, is he, like, in a hallway or in a, a closet or something? Or is it, do they even make little transistor radios Focus anymore? Rate. It's just fascinating. It's probably not a transistor radio. It's probably just sitting in the hospital with his wife, and it sounds better to say huddled around a transistor radio. I don't know. He sounded, that sounded pretty sincere. I just like to picture, it, it, because when I think about that, I think about those, uh, the people in the Night of the Living Dead who are in the basement huddled around the tiny transistor radio, like, you know, like with the windows boarded up, and it's like they're listening to Murrow talk about the Blitz on London. The living dead have taken over all of Peoria. Citizens are advised to stay in their homes. <laughs> stay in their homes. Stockpile canned goods. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know what the Trazodone doesn't do? Help me focus. Yeah. It does not help me organize my thoughts or collate them in any meaningful way. I do have lots of pep, though. Aren't we talking to Steve Castle? I was trying to tie it in because I thought we were talking to him about the you, writer's strike. You think then... so, but that would require him calling. He's not that. To be fair, we still got a minute or two before he's actually late. I think. So uh, we'll give him. And we don't have anybody else scheduled to the top of the hour. It's not. If he calls late, it's okay. We'll give him a couple minutes. Um, I don't think so. It's easy. What were you just saying? So the SNL guys are going to be performing some of their sketches live. And we'll they're, ask, they're doing their entire show. And so it's so this is not so I guess they're not affected by the stagehand strike at Broadway then. I guess not. Or on Broadway. It said it's a small theater in Chelsea. 
All right. That is pretty cool, actually. Are they selling tickets to it, or is it just yep, like a... Yeah, tickets are $20 a pop. Are the tickets benefiting the Writers Guild? Uh, they're actually going to, yeah. Or to the children. Proceeds from the sale of tickets to 30 Rock, priced at 20 bucks, will go to the Writers Guild Strike Fund. The All right. Says. I don't know, man. I, I'm not in a position really to, 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 to weigh in, because I don't watch a lot of new television. Most of the stuff I watch is either... I'm like a lot of people, I think, where the writer strike won't really affect me. Here's the only way the writer strike affects me: a, if the shield is delayed, which cannot happen, or b, if this writer strike goes on so long that, in fact, like DVD versions of things are delayed. Because that's actually how I watch most shows now. I mean, I watch most things a season later on DVD. Like Thirty Rock is a perfect example of it, Tina Fey show, where it's, uh, Thirty Rock's already like an, what? It, it just finished its second season. I think so. And I am actually waiting to watch the whole first season on DVD, then the whole second season. I almost never watch television programs live anymore. I mean, I can count on maybe two fingers the number of TV programs that I really watch live. So I'm not. Again, I you know I have I have great sympathy for the writers who are probably getting shafted by the studios in a real you know very real way because that's typically the way that studios operate. But I do got to think that the American reaction to the Writers Guild because I think that they're waiting. And maybe not, but don't you get the feeling that they're, that they're waiting for the, like, the American people to rise up and stand with them? I get the feeling that the Writers Guild is sort of like, the people will be with us. Americans will revolt and demand that the studios... But I get the feeling that the average American either doesn't care or, I mean, is, is either like completely oblivious and not affected by this or just wishes the writers would just get off their asses and get back to work. I'm not saying that's my assessment, but I think the average guy. Yeah, I just wish it would be over already. Yeah. Like, like, what am I? Like, somebody just budge and make your negotiations, and then everyone can get back to right. what they're doing. And that's the other thing is that, like, here's the irony of the whole Writers Guild strike is that there is now so much to choose from on television. There are now so many DVDs. There is now so much stuff on the internet. There's now so many things on file sharing sites. There's so many reruns. I got a hundred and whatever, ninety-seven channels of programming that will continue to be there. Like, none of the channels are going to go off the air. There's all the, you know, the channels will continue to, to send stuff down the pipe to my house every day. Americans now have so many distractions that I think they just won't be paying much attention to the Writers Guild strike. Like, I don't even know that they're going to feel the pinch the way mm -hmm. that they're... Like, I, I think the average American probably doesn't even see a lot of coverage of the Writers Guild strike because, ironically enough, there is so much other stuff on television to distract them. So, which is the same reason that it doesn't matter about this infighting between Hillary and, and Obama or John McCain and Rudy Giuliani, because that would require Americans to be watching coverage of those things, which they are not. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Good afternoon. I got a question regarding this thing. Uh, this, the what, 30 Rock and Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I, I saw a picture the other day of Tina Fey on strike. Now, she's on 30 Rock. Now, how is she going to be performing something or the, the cast from 30 Rock if they're on strike? Well, well, let's stop now. I think we're talking about several different things. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe I confused something. There. Well, I realize now that even I don't really know the answer to this. So 30 Rock is a sitcom by Tina Fey, which takes place at a fictitious late-night variety show. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay, but 30 Rock is also the colloquial term for the building at Rockefeller Center, which is where SNL is written and taped. So, Sarah, are you saying that the 
the live production of SNL skits is going to be called 30 Rock, or they are actually performing episodes of the show 30 Rock live as well. All right. This is from the Post, and it says specifically, the cast of Saturday Night Live and 30 Rock are mounting stage versions of their shows, which have been knocked off uh, off the air by a writer's strike, the Post has learned. The productions will be staged at a small okay. theater in Tulsa. Okay, yeah. So they're going to be doing... like it's going to be their So they're going to be doing episodes of, episodes of SNL and episodes of 30 Rock. Okay, now my next question would be then, are they going to be doing brand new episodes, which means they're writing? That's that's a good are question. Gonna, or are they going to just do old skits? That's a really good question. Are they going to be writing stuff? Well, it seems like they would be. It seems here. I'm guessing seems writing. Like that's the way to stick it to them is if they do new stuff. And well, and especially if they're writing new stuff, they're going to keep 100 percent of the revenue. Exactly. As, as opposed to you know, and again, I, you know, we're not. I can see. I can see how the studios like to save money. I can also see how writers always get screwed in Hollywood. So well, if sure you're, they do. Yeah. So if you're a writer, this is a good way to screw the studio right back. You know what this is like. Okay, You're, you know what this is like, though? This is sort of then Tina Fey and the SNL guys. This is their version of Radiohead just giving that record away for free to stick it to the, to the record company. You know what that's I mean? For, and perfect. saying, like, toss us 20 bucks if you like it, and none of it's going to go to the man. And everybody likes to screw the man. Well, of course. All right, actually. Even, even the man likes to screw the man. It's true. No, really. And I, I in fact, am the man, as many people have uh, pointed out to me in hostile emails about the station's programming. And even I like to stick it to the man. Because you All know right, what? Even if you are the man, there's also always a bigger man above you. Of course. Thank you. Second best show ever. Thank you. Uh, really? Okay. All right, so it says most Broadway the, uh, theaters are dark due to separate stagehand strikes, uh, which has left many people seeking alternate forms of entertainment. And this guy says the strike only affects... There is something wrong with my mouth today. The strike only affects plays on Broadway, although that's not even necessarily true because I know that Young Frankenstein, which is the new Mel Brooks thing, is still going on because mm -hmm. I think he has a separate union or a separate set of stagehands that he has always worked with. Uh, but I could be making that up. All right. I just sent Steve an email. Oh, yeah. Jesus, it's like 1145. Well, you know what? If he doesn't call in like five minutes, we're just going to have to... It's 1149. What time Your is it watch right is now? My watch... Well, that, that would explain it. My watch is 48, wrong. 48, 49, 50. It's 50. Set your watch on the air. Okay, I'm going to do that right now. 54, 55, it'll be 49. Right now? 59, now. 49? Yep. Okay, set. That actually would explain a whole lot that my watch has just been wrong. I was wondering why you were saying that nobody was late yet. I'm like, three minutes late. Yeah, this watch is completely... Well, because I, you know, for the, for the falling back, and then I, I just set it according to the Well, don't we have a fine sponsor that could help you with that, Rick Emerson? We do. The Watch Prince. All right. Uh, hey, is that Steve Kastenbaum? Please tell me it is. We could do a live report. Or is Richie, right I think Richie might, actually, Richie might actually be calling out. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? It's Randy in Minnesota. Randy in Minnesota. Randy. Hello, sir. Uh, this is Randy Minnesota who sent us the baby Ricky uh, photograph, which now graces RickEmerson.com. Oh, yes. This, this call was going to be baby Ricky free. All right. Uh, but I just wanted to give you credit where credit was due, <laughs> sir. I don't know if I want to accept. Oh, oh but anyway, uh, I, and we're all going. We're all going to hell, and we're going to have a nice room there for ourselves. But uh, the the writer strike. This just occurred to me. Uh, they can keep the actors employed and keep the shows on the air with slight modifications. They can use old scripts. Who, now, who are you referring to? Uh, all of the TV shows that, right. that are, are writer free now are free to use older scripts from old shows. Right. Act them out scene for scene, take the cast of Lost, and give them a Gilligan's Island script. You know, it's funny. They actually did a... They tried a show like this two years ago. Do you remember that? 
Oh, two or three years ago. I forget what the show was called. It was the rerun show, and they put David Faustino in it. The re- okay, the rerun show. And I remember it ran for like two weeks, and ABC canceled it. But Cast- casting is everything. It was For those who don't remember, the rerun show was this either brilliant or terrible idea um, that ABC aired where they would have um, sketch actors like, you know, mad TV types come on and act out old episodes of old sitcoms word for word, scene for scene. So they would take, like, you know, just some schmucks who were, like, you know, from an improv group, and they would give them a script for Happy Days, and they would just act it out, uh, you know, exactly as it was written on the page. And I remember. It seemed like an interesting idea. It didn't, just didn't work out very well. Uh, I remember at the time you said, uh, oh, the rerun show, they're giving Fred Berry his own show. <laughs> and you're like, oh, disappointed because it wasn't actually Fred Berry. Yeah, and so, now he's dead, so giving well, him his unfortunately, own. Unfortunately, yeah, that's what happens when you don't get your own show. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing I really called about, though, did they, yeah, and sir. I don't want to know the answer because I'm still listening to yesterday's podcast, but did they resolve the Richie Bristol Cologne dilemma? But you don't want to so know. Wait, <laughs> you're calling up to ask a question which I'm now forbidden to answer. Okay, well, I, I have a name for it. You're free to use this. We're just throwing it out there, and I hope it hasn't been used yet. How about Attack of the Colognes? <laughs> okay. Randy's my favorite. Nothing. Randy, you are pretty great. That actually made this whole call worthwhile. Attack of the oh. Colognes. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. All right, excellent. Well done, sir. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, my friend. Okay. <laughs> Attack of the Colognes. Hey, it's Steve Kastenbaum. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City, CNN radio correspondent and man about town, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. How's it going? How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. All right. So, well, it's funny. We actually were just talking about the writer's strike. Have you heard this thing about the Dirty Rock and SNL guys uh, doing these live uh, stage plays of their shows? I have not. I've been out on the, on the picket line for a while, and, and uh, I had seen some of the cast members from Saturday Night Live. I didn't know they were doing live improv shows. Uh, let's, well, it's not even improv shows. Sarah, do you have that story again Yeah, in front yeah, of the poster is actually reporting. It's a, stage in the, it's a story in the post today. It says, struck out cast stage teleplays. The cast of Saturday Night Live and 30 Rock are mounting stage versions of their shows, which have been knocked off the air by a writer's strike. Uh, these productions will be staged at a small theater in Chelsea called the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on West 22nd. Ah, I know where that is. Okay. That's interesting because if somebody videotapes this now, right, and then puts it out on uh, on TV or, or on on YouTube, is that violating the writer's strike then? And well, and my question is because they're charging twenty bucks a head, the proceeds to go to the Writers Guild. My, ah, okay. There's there's the rub. Okay. So, so they're charging twenty bucks. People get to go watch, you know, a live installment of their favorite show. It gets put on, and you know, this is the inevitable result of this. It gets put on YouTube. The people get to watch it, and the studio gets uh, gets it in the hindquarters. Um, and, and, and which is a really kind of a, if they do that, it's a really brilliant move. As I said earlier, it's sort of like radio had given that record away and sticking it to the record industry. It is. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I'm, I'm actually really impressed. And again, I, I, you know, I don't know how much the average just guy in America is really invested in the writer's strike, but it does sort of fascinate me because it is, I love anything. I just love power struggles. I mean, they're just fascinating to watch. And I don't have a vested interest in this, really, because I haven't written anything for the Writers Guild in probably five years. So it doesn't it doesn't really affect me at all. It's not like I'm being called to you know to write on the you know to you know to write on the you know I don't know insert wacky sitcom of your choice right now. Um, so it doesn't really affect me. But it is a really great idea for them to do these live stage plays. They charge a little money. They end up inevitably on the internet, whether intentionally or not. And, you know, and then they're keeping 100% of this and screwing the studio a little in the process. i got to admire that. 
It's really interesting. I wonder what is uh, written in their individual contracts that enables them to perform on stage like this because, you know, they're, they're cast members, so they have a contract, you know, presumably uh, with the Screen Actors Guild or, or one of the uh, unions that represents the actors, but they're also writers, so most of them are Writers Guild members as well. So, uh, you know, there's some interesting issues there uh, regarding their individual contracts with NBC, I would suppose, if they were to appear uh, in a production uh, outside of the realm of of NBC's Saturday Night Live, you know, uh, unless Lauren Michaels has, has given them the go-ahead on this. I don't know. It, 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 this will be one of those things. It'll be interesting to see whether some sort of cease and desist uh, arrives, whether the studio pitches a fit about it, whether somebody, uh, some lawyer gets yanked into a meeting with somebody else about this. It is, it is kind of fascinating. Um, and then it, this actually dovetails really nicely to something we were going to talk about anyway, which is, well, first of all, two things. So does Mel Brooks have a different union, a different agreement, a different set of stagehands. How is it that Young Frankenstein is still running on Broadway and nothing else is? There's a, a group of eight theaters that have uh, different contracts with uh, with the stagehands and all the other Broadway uh, uh, personnel. Uh, there's 27 theaters that come under this one contract that the stagehand uh, members, stagehand union members are striking right now. So that's that's why there are a uh, couple of theaters that are not affected by the strike. All right. So uh, so we've got that. And then and I, Tim Riley and I have been talking about this for the last couple of days. This I'm reading this now directly from the CNN prep sheet. CBS news writers have been working without a contract since 2005. Apparently, the, now this is true, the CBS news writers are going to be voting tonight on whether to go on strike. Yeah, it's a 24-hour it's vote because they have 500 members or so of the Writers Guild East that will be voting on this. And because they all work different shifts, different hours, and it affects the Los Angeles shop and uh, it affects uh, some folks in Chicago as well, uh, that's why this vote is going to last for 24 hours. So we don't know what the results – we won't know what the results will be until uh, Friday evening. However – a uh, representative from the union told me she thinks a strike vote uh, is very likely because the, the shops are really together on this. The issues here are very different from those that the writers uh, in Hollywood and here in New York on the sitcoms and, and dramas and soap operas are facing. It has nothing to do with downloads and everything to do with losing uh, union positions. Uh, CBS wants to be able to assign certain writers' responsibilities to non-union members. So that's the, that's the first time I've, I've ever heard of, a, of a, one of the three major networks wanting to do that in their news operation. What is the what would be the practical impact of the CBS news writers going on strike? It's a big impact. We're talking about everything from the the morning show to the evening news to 60 Minutes to CBS radio news across the country. You hear that on a lot of radio stations. To a couple of local uh, shops as well. The other big issue is CBS wants to be able to merge newsroom operations in cities where they have two uh, news radio stations. So here in New York, they have News 880 WCBS, and they also have 1010 Winds News, and they're both owned by CBS, but they're competing radio stations. They always have been historically. Uh, CBS wants to be able to have one newsroom for both radio stations. Now, so on I, the air, it would still sound like they're competing, but behind the scenes, they really wouldn't be. So here's a dumb question. So the CBS news writers go on strike. Does that mean there's just not going to be any CBS evening news? Well, the last time that 
some CBS shops uh, went, went on strike, or some some news shops went on strike, I should say. Uh, the news kept on going on. Uh, there there were some shows that did not. Some of the uh, news magazine shows, but typically what happens is that they find scabs to come in and write. And and it's uh, I, I know it happened here locally at, at a shop. Uh, the news kept going on. Uh, writers and anchor people, had, uh, I'm sorry, reporters and anchor people had to had to pull double duty and, and do more writing. But they also brought in uh, non-union members and and kept the news going as best as okay. they could. I'm telling you right now, this is from me to you. And I as a as a uh, I have no vested interest in this. I, I, I guess because I mean I'm a CBS employee, but it doesn't really affect me. Here's a great idea. This is a little because and I love just throwing out ideas that I myself will never be able to use, but which I think are genius. Here's what they ought to do. The CBS folks uh, go on strike. Mm-hmm. This this will be a ratings bonanza, a PR bonanza. Um, they bring back Dan Rather, Walter Cronkite. You know, <laughs> m- you know, uh, morally safer. I know he's dead. I think, but they just. I'm telling you, man. You just say, look, the right. Everybody's on strike. So you know what? For the foreseeable future, it'll be the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. How <laughs> great know- would that be? It would be interesting, although I think those two guys, uh, the, the way they lean with their political views, I don't think they would cross the picket line, to be I'm, honest. I'm just saying I like to throw that idea out there. I met Walter Cronkite a couple years ago, actually. And mm-hmm. I could, he was like it was like 100 years old then, but he was still just radiated magnetic charisma. He really did. So You know, Dan Rather has that, that new cable show, but I can't seem to find it anywhere. He's, he's got his own production, <laughs> you suppose, but I, I, I'm not even sure what channel it's on. Do you suppose that they just tell him it's going out over the air? I think so. Am I on the air? Sure, Dan. Keep talking. And meanwhile, the you know the meanwhile the, the cable out of the back of the camera is just going to nothing. Yeah, right. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. It's like Linda McCartney's uh, microphone. It's just unplugged. Exactly. All right. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. And uh, I don't know if you get a chance to check into this uh, this Chelsea Theater and let us know what's going on down there. That'd be interesting. See if I can crash the party. Okay. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, there you go. Steve Kastenbaum in New York City. Fantastic. We'll do one call, then we're going to break. Come back to Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Yeah, that that uh, caller called up with the idea of using used scripts and stuff like yeah. that. And I just heard um, they were saying that uh, anytime you know you take any script, um, you have to use it as it is on the page. Uh, and if you want to make revisions, you send it back to the writer. So if you want to change names or even, you know, take right. out maybe the fact that it's got a DeSoto in it or something like right. that, you know? Yeah. So that, that's the thing. It's it's just one of those little technical things. Well, and somebody said if, that if Tina Fey and those guys, you know, do, do the scripts, they're violating a, a copyright. But it depends on whether they do new scripts or not. Because, of course, in the, in the country, there, in America, there is a, a reflexive copyright law in most places, which means that as soon as you write or create something, you, by definition, own the copyright. Uh unless you then transfer the copyright to someone else, which does happen to many writers. That's one of the things the writers get always always bitches about, which they do have a legitimate grievance on that. Uh, that uh, in, and not to get too inside whatever about this, but one of the big complaints the Writers Guild and its members always have, which is very legitimate, is that here's how, for example, for people who want a little window into this, here is an example of how the Writers Guild, especially in, like in Hollywood, for movies and TV, screws people as opposed to, let's say, a playwright. If you're a playwright, you're David Mamet, and you write Glengarry Glen Ross the play, well, you know what? David Mamet still owns the copyright to that. It's yours. David Mamet owns Glengarry Glen Ross. If you want to do a production, a film, an adaptation, a TV series, he has representatives, obviously, but David Mamet still owns Glengarry Glen Ross because he wrote it. At a a film 
studio or television program, if you write a script, you no longer own it. The studio owns it. Yeah, and that is the fault yeah. of the Writers Guild, who that was like year, decades ago. But the Writers Guild, the first thing they did was oh, just to did. buckle and to give the studio the right to own what the writers created. And that's what really? they bitch about, which is, yeah. So that's the studio really does give the shaft to writers in Hollywood in a very real way. That's uh, that's indisputable, I think. Well, they're legendarily corrupt in every way anyway. But, but um, yeah. Well, anyways, great show. Thank Thanks. you, sir. I appreciate it. There you go. All right. We had a break. Uh, kind of a busy show already. If only my mouth worked correctly. Ah, uh, listen to that. A little music from Angus. Fantastic. Uh, this is Love Spit Love. This is the guy, what's his name? Richard, what's his guts from uh, Psychedelic First. Fronts this band. All right, back after this is the Rick Emerson Show. Tim Riley around the corner. Don't go anywhere. There's too much that I keep to myself. And I turn my back. And maybe I'm thinking about it too much. I it doesn't really matter to me. It's just it's sort of left off the page. It's sort of like what really? No, that's not how I re- that's not how I remember it looking. All right, I gotta be very circumspect. I don't want to be creepy, and and I don't want to be a jerk because I don't really care. I've always gotten along well. Uh, it's five zero three seven. We're gonna quit talking about it now. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy at the Ministry of Truth. Your new God is Tim Wright. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM nine seventy Solid State Radio. And now from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So now instead of renaming North Interstate Avenue to Cesar Chavez Boulevard, now the uh, the city councilors want to name Southwest Fourth Street. That's the street. That city hall is on. Cesar Chavez Boulevard. And the only person who's against it this time is the mayor. Now, I don't... Okay, I don't understand. Well, that's because that's where he works. I thought they were calling... Going to call Interstate. No. Cesar Chavez. They changed your mind. When? Last night. <laughs> I'm so confused. I thought they were going to do it. Despite no. what what, the, what everybody like voted or wanted or the law or... Mm-mm. And we, we'll say at the out front... Uh, out front. It's going to be a whole day of this, isn't it? It's no. going to be a whole day of me mangling the English language. <clears throat> I'll say at the outset, I don't care. Name whatever, name the whole city after. Doesn't matter to me yeah. as long as they're sort of following the procedure. I don't care. It doesn't you know? It's, I don't pay it. No, never mind. As George Thorogood would say. Um, but I thought it was going to be interstate. So what? Did, so did they vote that down? Well, they never voted for it. Okay, they, but they, then they just said we're not going to do it. Then, so, but then they decided to, to pick uh, what fourth? Yeah. And so now the only person in favor of it is Tom Potter. No, the only person against the it. The only person against it is Tom Potter. And one of the commissioners. So confusing. I think so like, most of the commissioners are in favor of it. Four of the five city commissioners are in favor and of it. And this would just be fourth downtown? Yeah. Because that's right where the cop shop is. and by the, uh, the No, the, the cop shop's on third. Is it? Yeah. The next street up is where City Hall is and the court building is. That's when I'm going through this in my head. Uh, 24-hour fitness, City Hall. That, okay, there you now go. You know what I'm All right, now I totally know what you're talking That's about. Fourth. So that would be... Now, why did they pick that street? Because of City Hall? Probably. All right, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Whose idea was this initially? The City Council? Uh, city Commissioners. City Commissioners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really care at this point. I, I've invested so much energy in a thing that doesn't really... Maybe the signs me. are made already and they're looking for a place to park. <laughs> well, that's probably it. I, um... Yes. That's probably it. I was going to say something else, but I, uh... All right. Not about that. There's, um... In the coming, uh, that's all I'm going to say. In the coming weeks, 
You may or may not, uh, and I, I really am not involved in this. This has nothing to do with me. In the coming weeks, you may hear about a push to rename something else in Portland. Um, that everybody, it's something that everybody in this audience will, uh, will get behind. It has nothing to do with me. It's not, it has nothing to do with me or my name. It has nothing to do with this program. Mike, here we cl- take credit for it then. I'm, well, maybe we will. Right. Um, it, I was privy to, I'm privy to a little bit of a, uh, a thing that's being, uh, that's being worked on. Well, that's not that's fair. fair. For me not to tell you, I don't want to say it now because it's because they're 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 do they're filing everything for it right now. That's all I'm going to say. I can okay. Do you want me to do you want to turn to the microphones, yes. knowing that it will knowing it will that it will piss off the audience? Yes. Yes. Okay. They're going to try to, yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. That, Some, yeah, no, I'm not going to say it on the air. I'm just okay. going to, uh, all right, here's Tim Riley. Well, anyway, uh, the governor uh, still is in favor of getting driver's licenses to illegal aliens, even though it was shot down in New York. So, uh, apparently, he's not going to listen to anybody on that one. No, of course not. Why? Why? Why should he? Uh, Portland police have arrested a woman for scamming people out of rent and real estate money in the Craigslist scam. Uh, here's what happens. This uh, woman, Lynn Sisko... Is she really attractive? No, she's really unattractive. <laughs> I'm sure her mother thinks otherwise. <laughs> of well, course. she's more attractive than Rumor... Uh, what's her name? <laughs> rumor Willis. Yeah, maybe her head could be put on Rumor and this Willis's is... body. Oh, man. And this she looks like... Rosie O'Donnell. Ah, uh, okay. I would also... Okay, I could accept that, too. I was going to say, like, if uh, Roseanne had a less talented sister, mm-hmm. maybe. You, know, you figure that Rumor Willis, though, had, a, had all the advantages of lighting and makeup and, the, you know, the whatever. Okay, so this woman did what? So the investigation shows that Cisco would uh, contact people looking for places to live through Craigslist and pass herself off as a property owner. Then she would get the deposit money, and nothing would happen. So she'd take the money and run. Right. That's well, what she did. She did. I don't think she runs anywhere. No. She'd well, take the money and waddle. Waddle. <laughs> it's just an accusation, mind you. Oh, no, the waddling part is true, whether or not she's a criminal. She doesn't run. You know it's true. She takes the money and sort of rolls herself gently down the street. Oh, this is too bad. School officials in the town of Eagle Point have suspended a first grader who drew a stick figure. Holding a gun. Holding a gun, of course. Uh, Ryan Weathers, who's six, was sent home from Little Butt School on Tuesday. Little Butt School? Mm-hmm. Uh, disciplinary report gives the uh, boys' family the state of reason for the suspension, threatening to shoot two girls in the head. Well, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, the, boys, be... the boys' father said the drawing was inspired by an episode of The Simpsons, in which the character displays a drawing of a student being shot by a gun. <laughs> All right. That charming episode in which, uh, in which Bart shoots Rod and Todd in the head and then mm-hmm. dresses in their skins. So a young Ryan is suspended for one day, and uh, the dad plans to hold the boy out of school until he speaks to his school officials. All right. Uh, oh, the dad does own a handgun, but okay. it's locked up safely, and the someone never has never seen it. Does apparently. it seem like the dad's a redneck? I don't know. I have met. He's from Eagle Point. If that means anything. <laughs> Eagle Point. He lives on Freedom Lane. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, this is too bad. A new coal bug has killed 10 in the United States, and the bug has touched down in Oregon. So far, nobody's been killed. It's caused 140 illnesses in New York, Oregon, Washington, and Texas, so people have gotten sick from this here, but they haven't been killed yet. It made headlines in Texas this year when a so-called boot camp sickened hundreds of Air Force Base workers. The most serious cases are blamed on the... Oh, oh, a trainee died on that one. Well, some people are upset about it. 
And there are 50 distinct types of this, so maybe you won't get it. So try not to breathe, if at all possible. Then there's the uh, dinosaur that looks like the vacuum cleaner. A uh, dinosaur has been discovered with wide vacuum cleaner-shaped mouths. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, I guess it's in National Geographic. It's unveiling the latest in vacuum design, but you probably wouldn't want it in your living room. It's a 110 million-year-old elephant-sized dinosaur. The mouth is shaped like the intook... Uh, Boy, I can't make... I'm having a hard time today, too. Are you and I both having the same problem today? We're to hold on a... Well, this is found in the Sahara Desert, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, this, by the way, we should clarify. We this guy called earlier, and he said, Rick, I'm crouched over a transistor radio in the hospital with my wife. And I was I was all intrigued by it. So he has now blackberried me. And he says... Um, that thing you do. Because that's what he would be listening to. It, right? With the little thing going into... Uh, Running down the street. With the uh, the, the white uh, cord that mm-hmm. goes into the little white plug that goes into your ear. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have one of those. I'm probably the last generation to have had that. Uh, the little the single white ear plug that like, you jammed into your ear that had the white cord. That, it was, that was then, before the Walkman. It was, in fact, sort of like today's painful, uh, uncomfortable earbud things. But it was only one of them. Mm-hmm. Wait, now that I think about it, what was the point of that? Why did they... Why would they manufacture a single earphone? What was the point of that? Why did they? Nobody would have thought of making two. <laughs> Should we have one for your other ear? No, that's crazy talk. That's just too much. And remember that it would always get clogged with wax, and then you'd have to oh, throw yeah, it away. It's gross. Yeah. Uh, Rick, this guy has emailed, or he's Blackberry. He says, Rick, yes, it is a transistor radio. This is the guy who's in the hospital with his wife, and he says, the only reception is next to the window. I am currently feeding my wife hospital macaroni and cheese. My Blackberry is losing power. Please send Ricky with cologne. Best show ever. I am hiding like Anne Frank from a hospital Nazi. I think he means a nurse Nazi. So there you go. All right. Well, there you go. So, so if you wanted clarification, uh, that's that guy. All right. Here's Tim Riley. So let's talk about O.J. Simpson because we want to. Can we? He's been ordered to stand trial for an alleged armed robbery. You know, alleged. You know we're going to have to make a juice watch. You know that. You, <gasps> we you never know. had one, did we? No. You know a juice watch is going to have to. It's going to have to be made. Um, oh, by the way, somebody pointed this out. I no longer have to say allegedly killed Nicole and Ron because they pointed out he was found guilty in the civil trial. Yeah. He was. See, I forgot all about that because the civil trial is sort of like. You know what the civil trial is? The civil trial is like the middle child. Everybody remembers the first one. We'll remember this one. The civil trial everybody forgets about. Uh, so this is uh, so this is an important thing. So I no longer have to say this. So he did, in fact, uh, kill Nicole and Ron. The civil court said so. Mm-hmm. All right, fantastic. Go ahead. Judge Joe Bonaventure ordered Simpson and two co-conspirators to go on trial for allegedly bursting into a Vegas hotel room and taking sports memorabilia at gunpoint. You are all ordered, bound over, and held to answer to all of the charges contained in the second amended criminal complaint in the 8th Judicial District Court. You're all ordered to appear in front of the trial judge in this case, Judge Jackie Glass. Jackie Glass sounds like a hard ass. Mm-hmm. The uh, judge said the trial is warranted. There is sufficient evidence that Orenthal James Simpson, Clarence Stewart, and Charles Ehrlich have committed said offenses. Oh, man. And you know what? And, and that 12 charges, mm-hmm. including assault with a deadly weapon, kidnapping, conspiracy to commit all of said crimes. Here are all the charges outlined by the judge. It does appear to me from the testimony and exhibits produced at, that, at this hearing that the crimes of conspiracy to commit a crime, conspiracy to commit kidnapping... Conspiracy to commit robbery, burglary, while in possession of firearm. Two counts of first-degree kidnapping with use of a deadly weapon. Two counts of robbery with use of a deadly weapon. Two counts of assault with use of a deadly weapon. And two counts of coercion with use of a deadly weapon have been committed. And that there is sufficient evidence that Orenthal James Simpson, 
Clarence Stewart and Charles Ehrlich have committed said offenses. Oh, Uh-oh. say goodnight, oh, Juice. Oh, he is so hosed. And it all... I know that everybody... That, you see when he goes to prison and Fred Goldman will his cell blanket? Oh, you know that Fred Goldman is just going to stand outside. Oh, he's just going to have... How can we make money on this? We ought to be selling... We, we haven't been good at make money at anything. I'm just it's saying, many, many the tide has to turn at some <laughs> point. So. I'm the, we ought to get a booth right outside that courthouse right now, start selling things. Um, well, we've been wanting to go to Vegas for something. I like oh. the way you think, Tim Riley. You're a genius, Tim Riley. We should do like a co-thing with CNN. one of those old-fashioned Edison light bulbs going off. Bing! We Not ought to do some, some co-branding thing with CNN, where we go down there and then we anchor it with roof with roof. That'll be fun. <laughs> and we all hate our lives together. Oh, that's I'd wonderful. Like that. Oh, okay. I think that's a great idea. I'm writing this down I right never now. I've a better idea. No, it's, oh. it's true. OJ, Vegas. Um, so it, when is the trial starting? Oh, I don't know. Years from now. It's going to be freaking... Uh, a felony arraignment is scheduled for November 20th. The, the trial expected next February, so that's plenty of time for That's only three months, though. Mm-hmm. That's only three months. Well, they can put something together for us. In uh, no, that's what I'm saying. It would take at least three months to put it together, probably. It's like a fair logistics and whatever. Um, I'm, oh, come on. Ho- I have to tell you, hotel. that guy called at the beginning of the show, and he's like, well, we're tired of hearing about OJ. I, get used to it, uh, because we're not going to have much to say for the next three months. But when this when this kicks off, I'm going to be talking about this all the time. Uh, I was talking. My wife heard me go on about it for half an hour last night about the, 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 the OJ trying to steal the, 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 the crap he was wearing when they acquitted him the first time. I was talking to Susan Reynolds about the, you know, the, the, the Spectre thing. In the time it took them to do that Phil Spectre trial, we were employed, fired, unemployed, and hired again. And then the, and the, 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 you know, for Spectre, and they're still going to have to do another trial with him because he got acquitted. Let me see if I got a little piece of a. Uh, I do have a little piece of something here. Wait, hold on. Wait for it. This is Robertson. Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles. In the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant Orenthal James Simpson not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A. This is a great moment where he waves at the jury and goes, thanks. Uh, Make it a good day. I never want to see that again. There's a little finger pistols. Bam! Back at you, Jerry. I never noticed this. There's some guy in the Dream Team who looks just like Richard Belzer. Who is this? Hey, Tim, who's this guy? Do you know who that is? No. I've never seen him. He's not Barry Sheck. He's not Johnny Cochran. He's not, um, not, uh, what's his name, Shapiro. Mm -hmm. Some guy looks just like Richard Belzer. All right, let's... Let's hear that one more time. Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder. And then Cochran, I never noticed this. So OJ does the thanks at the jury. And then Cochran, God love him, Johnny Cochran does the, the low fist pull, like the, yeah! You know, and he, and he like doubles over. He doubles over and does the low fist pull as though you are, um, I, I don't know, as though you're like really aggressively yanking the stop signal on a city bus. Yeah! Fantastic. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. What's up? Um, I think on the radio thing, the, you know, uh, as you all know, I mean, AM's a mono broadcast, so it only has one signal out. Yeah, I suppose, but and, I mean, that doesn't mean that people listening to well, this, I was this station to think, only use maybe one. Maybe you would know, when did, like, DJs start having, um, you know, wearing full-set headphones? I mean, were there even such a thing? Had anyone logically thought of it? 
Well, what, what do you mean? Well, I, I'm wondering when DJs had both, you know, like when radio people started wearing headphones that always had two. I I think always um, because yeah because because again um, a DJs even in the olden days were deaf uh, <laughs> you know and so you had to have you know as much sound as possible and you always had to wear headphones d despite what you may see in Hollywood films you always had to wear both headphones because when you turn on the microphone the speakers in the studio go dead so there's no right. so you don't have feedback um but yeah you go back and watch like the orson wells war of the world's broadcast everybody in that studio has a full set of headphones on i think also if i remember i'm a little bit older than you i remember the early advertisements for the transistor radios and it was always like you know if it was playing through the speaker it was a group listening but then they would also have a picture of a guy on the bus or, or on the beach. in a group where it was supposed to be inconspicuous that oh, he was yeah. listening to the Dodgers game or something like that at, at work you know at home so the old lady doesn't hear you right my wife doesn't hear me all right thank you bye bye all right all right here's Tim Riley I also remember pillow speakers going way back when. They used to sell pillow speakers even when I was a teenager. My mom somehow... Do you ever find yourself getting on the mailing list for some tacky catalog full of crap? And you're like, how did I ever get Oriental on... Oriental Trading Company. My mom still gets those. Is that... What do they sell? I get Greek statues. What, what do they sell? They sell everything. They sell, it depends on the holiday. Like, oh. they have tons of... Um, they have to buy everything in bulk. Of course. <laughs> pillow? They... they Like, these... um. My mom would just get these tacky catalogs in the mail, and they would sell things like customized return address stamps for your envelopes, mm -hmm. you know, and it would be like, you know, your name over like a bunch of candy canes or a cat. Um, and then one of the things they sold was a pillow speaker, and it was a speaker shaped like one of those, um, it was a speaker that was round and shaped like a urinal cake. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. And it would plug into your radio, and you'd stick it inside your pillow. So you could then theoretically listen to music as you slumbered, but of course, what they never—but it was like hard plastic, and so I never understood exactly how you were supposed. My grandmother had one of those, and I never how you were supposed to sleep with your ear over a piece of hard plastic inside your pillow. I don't know how that was ever supposed to work. Man, the pillow speakers—I haven't heard about that. I haven't heard about those forever. All right, maybe we'll get one for Christmas. Hey, Rick, can Fred Goldman seize money from OJ's attorney? Think about this. O.J. gives Shyster attorney money for defense. Goldman takes money from Shyster. O.J. gives more money to Shyster. Rinse. Repeat. That is, I don't, that's a really great, and how is O.J. paying an attorney if Fred Goldman is taking all of his money? How will he pay? What kind of defense team will O.J. get this time? The whole thing just makes me shiver with anticipation. I mean, that's a really good question, Rick Emerson. Yes, it is. Thank you. From where will O.J. get the money to hire a lawyer, and who would possibly be O.J.'s lawyer this time around? Knowing that O.J. has used up all of his luck and the luck of several people, you know, randomly in the country. I mean, he's O.J. was given an excess of luck, and he has used it all. So there is no way he's not going to get uh, not going to get convicted this time. Uh, so who would possibly represent? What if O.J. has to get a public defender? How sweet would that be? How succulent a turn of fate. I know I'm getting disproportionately excited about this, like, months ahead of time. How unbelievably perfect would that be? On top of all the other perfect things that have happened with this so far, if O.J. had to get a public defender after going for the dream team to now getting some guy makes minimum wage for the state. Ah, oh, please, sweet fate, let it happen. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, it's Janice. Hello. Um, is it Kardashian, maybe, that looks like Belzer? You know, I don't really... Belzer? Uh, I don't really know. Uh, is that Robert Kardashian? Is that his name? Yeah, the dead one. 
Oh, Richard. Car- uh, wait, no, this guy. I can't remember said- his first name, but he sort of. I think he. I'm, I can't. I don't know the picture you're talking about. Uh, let's see. Cool. I got an email here. It said Rick, the Bells are dude. He's Robert or Richard Kardashian. Okay. Yeah. Part of the That's dream team. Watch how stunned he is when the verdict is read. He is thought yeah. to have. Uh, he is thought to have been the. This is the emailer saying this. I am not saying this. This email says he is thought he Kardashian is thought to have been the person who met OJ at the airport and might have helped him dump evidence. Interesting. All right. Oh, that, so that is apparently him then. That's what I'm thinking. Excellent. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye. All right. Bye. There you go. Fantastic. Yeah, Robert Kardashian. His ex-wife and girls have a reality show on E called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Oh, is that them? Huh. Yeah. Which also stars the horrific looking... And she looking... tries to distance herself from that so much. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Apparently, it also stars the horrific looking plastic surgery nightmare that is Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner is married to his ex-wife. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, next must uh, kicker refund checks. Kicker? Yeah. I barely knew her. Sorry. Well, they're coming out soon. 1.7 million checks will be sent out to Oregon taxpayers. Uh, this kicker check was created in 1970, but nobody cares. When's it going to be out? It says here, uh, within the next couple of weeks, I guess. Excellent. Uh, so be watching for it. Keep an eye out for it. Uh, meanwhile, this is the, uh, a very odd story. It's what Santa can say and what Santa cannot say. This comes to us from Sydney. That's in Australia. A kangaroo country. Apparently, Santa's a war not to say ho, ho, ho. Why is that? I can't possibly imagine, I man. Because it might be offensive to women. Oh, Sydney Santa Clauses have instead been instructed to say, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> As they steal your candy. One disgruntled Santa told the newspaper a recruitment form warned him not to use ho, ho, ho because it could frighten children and it was too close to ho. Okay. Are you a slang term for prostitute? I am calling BS on this story right now. This is a fake story. I mean, it was in the. I know it was like in a news source, but I'm saying right now, the story is full of crap. This is not a real story. From the makers of Jenkum. This, yeah, that's totally what this is. This is a legend. This is an urban legend right here that Santas have been told not to say ho. The idea of, a, of Santa screaming ha, ha, ha at you is pretty great, though, especially if you're like an easily rattled five-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's just a huge guy. It's like a huge fat man with a beard and a bloodshot eyes reeking of gin lumbers towards you and says ha, ha, ha. I mean, that's man, you're, you're thinking you're going to end up in that guy's oven. Jesus. Yeah, no, that's fake. That's, I guarantee you that's not a real story. So, uh, well, we'll find out. Yes, we will. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, Rick, you were asking about O.J. Simpson's defense team. Yes. He gets a football pension that I believe is exempt from any law judgment or anything. And nobody, Literally, nobody can touch it. It's like thirty grand a month. Oh, that's true. I keep forgetting about that because that's what... And Goldman's still pissed about it, but that's why O.J. continues to live lavishly because he's got... Yeah, because he makes like four hundred grand a year in retirement. It's not taxable either. No, it's, it's completely exempt about every, uh, from everything. Yeah, you know... Uh, all right. I just... Uh, that's just insane. I mean, I don't care. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's fine. I guess he's allowed to. It's just crazy, the idea that you can play for, you know, a few years in the NFL and then you get four hundred grand a year for the rest of your life. Yeah. I agree. We're throwing the ball. All right. Thank you, sir. Great, great show ever. There you go. Thank you, my friend. All right. Here's Tim Riley. We'll do one more, and then we'll... Jesus, it's 1230. Oh. It is. Already. This whole week is zipping by. Here's Tim Riley. John McCain's presidential campaign is demanding an apology yes. from CNN over how it handled the story yes. about yes. McCain yes. and Senator Hillary Clinton. Oh, did you... On a campaign stop in South Carolina, an older woman posed a question to McCain about Hillary. Okay. Now, th- th- before you hit play... You're such a freak. I'm so giddy about this. Tim knows what, what what's about to be played here. Yeah. Uh, this is the other thing I went off to my wife about last night. I'm like, and 
Um, I do think the trazodone has made me a little talkier, uh, if such a thing were possible. Lucky us. Uh, lucky her. You already get it for four hours I know. A day. I feel bad for Lara. So now I go home and I'm like, and another thing, OJ! You know, and just screaming at my wife about OJ Simpson in the kitchen while she's trying to make uh, vegan tacos last night, which were fantastic, by the you way. You betcha. They were really, really good, and I'm not trying to be in any Haskell about that. They, my wife made some vegan tacos last night that were fantastic. I had some Morningstar buffalo wings and tzatziki sauce. Really? It was really good. So we're, I mean, it's, you know what? And they, because most, uh, not most, some vegan food just tastes like vegan food, and you're like, well, maybe healthy, but I don't really want to eat that. These were amazing. Yeah. They were wonderful. You to invite your poor Why friend. Why not have more tonight? I'm sorry, both of you were speaking at once. What, Tim? Why not have more tonight? Oh, we're going to have more tonight. I told her, I, you know what I said? And then I'll get back to this John McCain thing. Mm-hmm. She made me these vegan tacos, and I said, you know what? I said, this is so good. I said, I would eat this every night. I mean, which is a little bit of an overstatement, but I mean, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Sarah? I'm saying you should invite your poor friend Sarah over for dinner sometime. Let Sarah wet her beak? Or bring some to work. All right. Uh, okay, so John McCain. So, man, I was talking to my wife about this last night in my, my little respites from OJ ranting. So what you're about to hear... Is an older woman. Now, where did this take place? It was like an informal. South Carolina. It was like an informal gathering of supporters for mm. McCain. Yes. I mean, really, how many McCain supporters can they really gather at this point? And so you're going to hear a woman in the audience stand up and ask McCain a question about the upcoming election. How do we beat the bitch? May I give the uh, translation? <laughs> you might know that there was a uh, there was a poll yesterday, a Rasmussen poll, I identified, that shows me three points ahead of Senator Clinton in a head-to-head matchup. And then he went on to reply. I respect Senator Clinton. I respect anyone who gets the nomination of the Democrat Party. Okay, now can you play that just the, just the beginning of that again, where the woman asks the question? How do we beat the bitch? Right, may I give the uh, translation? <laughs> you might know that there was just... a uh, there was a poll yesterday, a Rasmussen poll I identified that shows me three points ahead of Senator Clinton in a head-to-head matchup. How was that possible? Who would take such a thing? I can't imagine. Uh, it's it's made up, is how it's possible. Harold Stassen came in third. <laughs> Pat Paulson is running real strong. It's it's you know anything's possible. Lyndon LaRouche had a strong <laughs> Make it up. Um, okay, so this woman who's unidentified says, "How do we beat the bitch?" First of all, I will leave alone the issue of referring to Hillary Clinton as a you know as a bitch because that, 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 that's not even the most interesting. It's stupid. Because it's just dumb. It's not even the most interesting part to me. The most interesting part is a. Here's my thoughts on this. My thoughts on this are threefold. A. Well, first of all, the over the overwhelming impression that you get from that is what I have been saying for weeks now, which is that you, d- 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 I'm just saying this as an observer. I, I have no vested interest in the political system. If voting changed anything, they would not let you do it. So just as an observer of politics as a sport, which is all they are in this country, politics are the great national pastime. It's not baseball. It's not football. Sometimes it's pro wrestling, but the great national pastime is politics and pretending that they matter. So I simply say this. Well, the campaigns take a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know. It, and they're good for TV and radio and the advertising business. So Tim and I are just sort of the Howard Cosell and Don Meredith of the political world. That's all right. we are. They so, accomplish nothing. No, they are simply sideshow and spectacle. They are circuses and bread. So f- from that perspective, here's what's fascinating about this. A. This again, with every on top of everything that's happened the last couple of weeks, shows you how terrified they are of Hillary Clinton. You can tell with every time, every time they open their mouth, you can tell 
that they know that if they do nothing, she will win by default. That unless, that in other words, if things continue to unfold as they are unfolding, unless something happens, unless something acts upon this force, you know, an outside force acts upon her trajectory, Hillary Clinton will be the next president of the United States. They know this. They they can feel it in their in their evil bones. They can feel it. And, you know, it's not just them. Barack Obama can feel it, too. That's why Obama's stepping up all his tax on Hillary and calling her out by name and doing everything but insulting her her mother. I haven't heard any. Oh, well, you know, the, the Obama camp is really trying to, like, take her to task, and they're really trying to go out and hammer and tongs. But, you know, it's doing nothing. It has, it's having no effect. She is impervious at this point. And so unless something stunning happens to Hillary Clinton, she will be the next president. And they're terrified. They are terrified, horrified, filled with fear and loathing, which is why things like this are happening now. I mean, can you imagine if, if this had been said about any other political candidate? Imagine if somebody had said this about George, about George Bush 41. If somebody had said about Bush 41, how do we beat the a-hole? I mean, can you fathom this? Can you imagine anybody saying that about Al Gore or John Kerry? How do we beat the, you know, how do we beat well, the, uh, the Especially the since all these people are picked out beforehand. Yeah. Anyway. So, A, that shows you how terrified they are of Hillary. B, it shows you how convinced they are that she's going to win if something doesn't happen. See, that will either that'll do that video will do one of two things. That video may in fact be their undoing because if it was planted or not, that may in fact galvanize the female vote, something like that. Because you get that so-called Oprah audience, that audience I was referring to, the politically inactive women. If you get that video in front of a bunch of angry women. And just say, this is what you're fighting against. And then you just have them, you have John McCain or the Republican Party calling Hillary a bitch. You put that in front of the right group of couple million women, the Republicans are hosed. They are so hosed that they're OJ hosed. Um, my final thought on this, and then we have to break because we're like an hour behind. My final thought is, I would not be surprised if this uh, woman being planted... To stand up, and I, which I believe she was, my opinion, it, this woman being planted to stand up and say, how do we beat the bitch? I would not be surprised if it is some really stupid, ham-handed attempt by the GOP to start a viral marketing slogan against Hillary. If this is this is their attempt to get beat the bitch to be some sort of weird, some, some sort of weird underground slogan. And so this, I guarantee you, whether that was their attempt or not, you will see that start to pop up on anti-Hillary websites. You'll start to see this pop up on some of the more crazy right-wing blogs. You'll see this. I guarantee you. I think I'm going to post this on mine right now. I guarantee you. But let's let's be part of the problem. I guarantee you, before the 2008 election is over, you will see bumper stickers that say "Beat the bitch." I'll guarantee. I'll bet you my bottom dollar on that. You will see "Beat the bitch" start to appear on things like next week. Whether that was their attempt or not. But in the end, it doesn't really matter, because who do you know? It'll galvanize the opposition to Hillary Clinton. There is no, there is no, it, it's not possible to do any more galvanizing. You know? It's not possible to... What, somebody was for Hillary? And, well, I don't know. I was all for Hillary until I saw that old woman talk. Now I'm, now I'm again her. So it's, it's going to end up being pointless. But that may, in fact, be a little bit of viral marketing. The Republicans may be trying to introduce that phrase into, their, uh, into the lexicon. So there you go. Fantastic. I'm posting that right now. Country's on hot rails to hell. All right. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back more of Tim Riley later on. Lardass Hogan from Stand By Me. Um, the hell else? Oh, Lisa Desjardins, James Roop, and Mofo. Uh, Mofo. I was going to say more. 
Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's this kind of linguistic dexterity that makes this program so popular. Mars. Back after this. Women. We interrupt this record to bring you a special bulletin. The reports of a flying saucer hovering over the city have been confirmed. Emerson Radio program still to come today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Deschardins uh, in Las Vegas for the Democratic debate happening uh, tonight, which will be, I imagine, another Hillary Clinton dogpile, so to speak. Uh, let's see, what else? James Roop going to be talking to us from uh, Las Vegas as well. Glorious Bastard of the Week coming up. Andy Lindbergh, Stand By Me's Lardass Hogan. Uh, we'll be talking to him uh, around 1.40 today. Uh, before I do anything else, I mean, call uh, CNN. CBS gatekeeper Dave Zinn, if this is in fact Dave. This is actually Sarah. Oh, damn it. Jeez, thank you so much for that warm, warm reception. Hi, Sarah Wagner. Hi. Hoping to speak to somebody who can help me. Uh, What do you want? Hey, so now, uh, are you privy to the Geeks Night Out thing that we've been doing today? The, um... This is the uh, the Star Trek thing? Yeah, I read it on your website. All right. So, So So did Dave actually fill you in on this? But is he gone? Is he out of the building? Yeah, he's out of the building. All right. When is he back? In an hour. God, I've never felt so unwanted in my life. <laughs> so he's back at 2? Uh, no, one thirty. All right. He's back at one thirty. All right. A little after, probably. Do you, do you, do you know, and I, I, I realize to people on the air right now this sounds a little confusing because I'm speaking in a circumspect fashion until I kind of figure out where we are with this, but uh, do you know, are there still tickets available? Yes, there are still tickets available. All right, okay. So I'll tell you what. Uh, come up here in a while. I'll come upstairs, and I'll get, like, a breakdown of what tickets are available where, and then we'll uh, kind of put the word out of the air. And okay, have, have thanks for telling somebody. me I was on the air. I'm just hearing my voice on the radio now. Hi, you're on the air, by the way. Golly. Bye now. How Bye. did you think we're both talking right. at the same time? I don't know. <laughs> have a good show, guys. You, you know, <laughs> let me tell you about a little thing called radio. <laughs> All right, Do you have anything to buy, stop, uh, stop, create, or give away? There you go. That's uh, Sarah Wagner. That girl's rad. She's very yeah. knowledgeable. No, she's great. All right. Yeah, really, how did she think that... Well, never mind. Whatever. <laughs> All right, here's Tim Riley. So uh, Marie Osmond has to uh, deal with the death of her dad in a fainting spell, and now she was forced to talk about a personal issue. If you saw Larry King last night, she was shocked that Larry knew that her 16-year-old son has been sent to rehab. After being startled by the question, Marie addressed the uh, uh, subject. My son was put into a rehab. You know, he's dealing with a lot of issues. Um, I don't know that I feel comfortable talking for him, but I will say this. My son is amazing. He's dealing with a lot. He's one of my kids. He's dealing with adoption issues, all kinds of things right now. He is the most amazing kid. Oh, please. So why on earth did she have to adopt a child? I mean, she had no problem having her own. She certainly isn't she barren. Her her womb is certainly fertile and productive. She it is. is a she has a never mind. I'm gonna say her womb is just sort of like a I don't know. Just sort of like a big living cornucopia. Right. It's a horn of plenty, her womb. It's not paper roses. <laughs> no. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sarah's eating and I'm talking about Marie Osmond's womb as being a big a big, breathing, living, breathing cornucopia. 
anywho, anywho. So what? She so she adopted a kid and now he's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate. And, and uh, in reference to uh, the rehab, her brother Donnie notes that his family goes through the same problems as everybody else does. A lot of people in this country, a lot of people in the world, are dealing with these kinds of issues. And the Osmond family, just because we're a close family, doesn't mean we're exempt from those issues because society can throw a lot of trash at you. All right. So that's that. Fantastic. Uh, a court in the uh, ultra-conservative kingdom of Saudi Arabia is punishing a female victim of a gang rape with 200 lashes and six months in jail. The 19-year-old woman, uh, apparently, oh, this is a, a new verdict. Apparently she wasn't supposed to be in the car with men anyway. So well, no, of course not. Don't go thinking for yourself either. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. King Abdullah last month approved a new body of laws regulating the judicial system of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia are partners in peace. Yeah. It's a very peaceful religion. Really? But you, my first day in office, that country's gone. <laughs> oh, I'd nuke it. <laughs> yeah, the first. The that first. and Texas. <laughs> the, you know, yeah, I'm with you on that. Did you say goddamn Texas? No, I said that, oh, that and, and Texas. Texas. Uh, either really works. Uh, no, the, the same kind of people. Oh, yeah, no. The, yeah, the, my first day in the Oval Office, there's going to be a big smoking Saudi Arabia-shaped crater on the map. Yeah, yeah but it, I got a long... That, that as, as really, the entire government of Saudi Arabia is in my book. There in the book, the entire governing uh, family in Saudi Arabia. All right, here's Tim Riley. Uh, the U.S. House banned funding yesterday for the cross-country trek program that allows long-haul Mexican treks into the U.S. and U.S. treks into Mexico. The Teamsters uh, spokeswoman, they have a lady in charge. Hi. Uh, named Leslie agrees with the funding ban and believes the Transportation Department does not have the ability to oversee this program. She also uh, agrees that Mexican treks just aren't very safe. Teamsters uh, on the border or along the border see a lot of Mexican trucks, and uh, they're pretty horrified by, the, the, you know, their their condition. Uh, she doesn't think the Transportation Department has the ability to oversee such a program. One of the things they can't do is check a driver's license for somebody who is not a U.S. or a Mexican citizen. So if you're a terrorist, you can fly to Mexico, cross the border, show your license, and the federal officials won't have any way of checking to see if that's a valid license. Or come to Oregon. We'll give you one. <laughs> Just drop by Governor Kulingowski's house. Yeah. We ought to do that. We ought to start gathering. This is what we ought to do, Tim. We got to start going to Vegas after all. I'm just no, no, no. This is either before or after that. We got to just gather up truckloads of, uh, of folks who are here uh, in violation of the law and just drop them off on That's Ted Kulingowski's lawn, mm -hmm. just so he can take them on down to the DMV. There you go. Fantastic. Done and done. Rick, I guarantee this email says I guarantee you the lady who said beat the bitch was probably a plant by Giuliani or Romney. We'll see a lot of this in future months as the Republicans scramble around trying to find someone who they think has some sort of shot at beating Hillary. It's basically a rallying cry that, should, that shows they could care less about a candidate's beliefs, political opinions, or past misdeeds. They really just want someone who can beat Hillary Clinton. For another example, see Pat Robertson endorsing Giuliani, which is a lot like Fred Phelps giving Ellen DeGeneres a high five because they both don't like airplane food. I would also like to see T-shirts with an image of any of the Republicans and a wife beater with a fifth of cheap whiskey in one hand and the other raised to backhand Hillary with a large beat the bitch print underneath. Yeah, that's going to backfire. i got to tell you that right now. If that is the GOP's attempt to create some sort of rallying cry, they're even dumber than I sometimes think they are. Because that is not going to work. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, to the surprise of everyone, passengers are still able to get bomb materials past airport screeners, even after billions of dollars have been invested in upgrading the security systems. That's according to the General Accountability Office. That describes how undercover investigators are able to pass through security with liquids and other materials needed to make bombs. 
Representative uh, Sheila Lee of Texas says she's outraged about this report and says it's a question of life and death. I do believe that there should be punishment and possibly termination uh, for those who engage in this activity. Uh, there should be incentives for uh, those screeners who are professionally uh, developed or are engaged in being as accurate as they possibly can be. Most of their brains aren't developed. Thank you, Sheila. We appreciate you weighing in. Light my cigar. It sounds like she ought to be fronting the Teamsters. Well, or installing cyclone fencing at my house. Would Sheila be available to help? I don't know the answer to that. Here's Tim Riley. Maybe carry a couch on her back down a flight of stairs. <laughs> oh, man. Let me, can I just say this? Yeah. Sorry. You just... We're, the show is like a series of web pages filled with hyperlinks sometimes. You have just clicked on the button that says couch. That is now... Wait, hold on. Loading page. Images loading. Downloading. Let me tell you about the couch situation. So... Because I know you all care deeply. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of backstory here. So my wife uh, bought this couch on Craigslist. And she saw a picture of the couch. She went over to the guy's place. The guy said, hey, here's the couch. My wife said, hey, what a beautiful couch that is. How much is it? The guy said, that'll be $250. My wife said, hey, that's a steal. Can you help me move it? The guy's like, yeah, if you have cash, I'll help you move it today. My wife's like, fine, bam, 250 bucks. This is a great couch. This will look wonderful in our basement. The guy comes over. They, I don't even know how they did this because the front door to our house is not very big and the couch is massive. They shoved the couch through the front door of my house. I come home. The couch is in the living room, taking up all of the available space. It matches nothing because, of course, as I described later, it's too big to fit through the door that leads to the basement. And even if it fit through that door, it can't go down the stairs or turn around at the bottom. And in short, the couch cannot be gotten into our basement. It is now a gigantic boondoggle of a sofa that is sitting in our living room. So Scott Daly was like, well, you know, Scott Daly's moving into a swinging bachelor pad. Maybe I could have that couch. So it turns out that, A, Scott Daly isn't moving into his swinging bachelor pad for some time. And, B, there aren't that many available in Scapoose. And he keeps and he keeps using phrases like, give me the couch, or if you decide to let me have the sofa. He keeps using a lot of words that indicate that he doesn't plan to pay for it if he takes it. So... So Scott's idea is that we're just going to take this $250 bath on the sofa. Um, but so now my wife has arrived at two different options for the sofa. Option number one is she can put it back on Craigslist and now try to sell it herself. But as she put it, how do I say this? I say this with all, all, all the greatest due respect to the audience. My wife now knows, though, we've had so much discussion about this big plum-colored sofa that if suddenly a big ad appears on Craigslist saying, hey, buy our plum-covered sofa, everybody will look at that ad and immediately know who's selling it. I mean, everybody who listens to this program who happens to see that ad will... And, they, and you know what? I hope you use the picture with a dog on and it. And it's going to be an endless procession of nitwits coming by the house, to, and we will answer the door. They will point out their hand Nelson Munt style. We'll get a... And then they'll go away, and that's going to be it. And it's going to be a parade of jackasses coming by to taunt us. So we can't do that. She's got a friend at work, though, who knows our predicament with the couch, and the friend at work is like, well, I'll give you 120 for it. So we now have the option of setting fire to it in the front yard or taking a $125 loss on the sofa. So that's it. That's where I'm at with that. If you put it in the back of your pickup truck, it'll be gone in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know, but we get nothing for it then. Nothing except more show material.
So I guess we're going to end up just selling it to her uh, her friend for 120 bucks. That's yeah, it's hard when you have expensive possessions that you can't resell. It's not expensive. It's I mean, two hundred and fifty dollars. That's expensive. Well, I'm saying compared to a new sofa, though. I mean, I it was, was actually like twenty five hundred. That's why she. Yeah. What? Yeah. Your what was what? My sofa was how much? Twenty five hundred. Okay. See what I'm she, talking about? Mine was thirty five dollars. You take a zero well, off. Made. Jesus, you you really are like like the Paul Schaefer of the Rick Emerson show. Do you know that guy's a billionaire, Paul Schaefer? On, on oh, David I imagine so. Yes. Yeah, you take a zero. My car, the, the sofa in my living room cost a tenth of what yours did. Well, mine's custom made. It's very comfortable. I, oh, I would hope so. I, if I don't leave my home, I demand to be comfortable on my no, no, furniture. That's fine. I, no, no, no. Rick Emerson understands. I don't like fancy cars or highfalutin nightclubs or anything like that. Just a $2,500 show, but that's fine. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying all the furniture in my living room combined didn't cost $2,500. Sarah, how much your sofa cost? 35 And I'm to be sure fa- it's just as comfortable as mine. Uh-huh. No, actually, no. The sofa was no. The sofa was like such a jerk. Fifty-five, <laughs> and then my armchair was thirty-five. And and to be fair, now I I mean you know, whatever you know, I, I probably would not have paid two hundred and fifty dollars for a sofa because I'm a guy and I would have just found some. Look, I'll tell you this: the last sofa that I got, uh, I, I had a relative giving away for free, so I just stuck it in the back of my car and just moved it up. Um, anyway, so it's not like it's the most expensive piece of furniture, but she did. Sarah makes a good point. We did shell out $250 for it under the presumption it was going to be you know, like usable. And so now we got to take half a bath on it. Tim, you don't want a purple sofa, do you? I'm afraid that would clash with my decor. Okay. You're listening to KCMD Portland. Here's Tim Riley. Well, it's time to talk about that delicious Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, the chef and cookbook author, Andrew Schlosh, says you don't have to stuff your Thanksgiving turkey. Stuffing the turkey, it cuts the heat transference. So is that like corralling the turkey a turkey longer, and it makes the breast overcook before the whole thing is done. So make your stuffing separately. Uh, chef Schlosh uh, shares one of his favorite Thanksgiving dinner dessert recipes. I'm going to be making a pumpkin sweet potato mousse, with a, which is really simple. It's a can of sweet potatoes a can of pumpkin, put them in a food processor, puree them with a little bit of honey, some cinnamon, some pumpkin pie spice, and then fold whipped cream into it. Hey, I got, okay, I got like a hundred things to say about this. A, he doesn't sound like the kind of guy that would be making a pumpkin potato mousse. B, puree is a hilarious word. It is. And puree, by the way, is the, is the funniest setting on a food processor except for frappe, which is funnier. Um, C, that sounds really like ass and something that I would never eat. Who here would eat pumpkin potato mousse? That's what I'm saying. Tim? Well, it's... I mean, after you covered your $2,500 sofa with a drop cloth. It's served in a decorative manner, perhaps. It's served in a chilled goblet and and handed to me by maidens covered in leaves. Uh, sweet potatoes just kind of gross me out. Well, it's, it's two things that shouldn't go together. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you know, sweet my potato. That's what I always say. It's like a, like a lot of the stuff that they serve for holidays is just stuff that I think we only eat because we're supposed to. It like sweet potato and yams. Did, who, does anybody here like candied yams? No. No. See, I, I I used to think that I was alone on this. It has a weird name. And I have yeah I have come to realize that I actually speak for a lot of people that a lot of Thanksgiving food is just sort of bad. Like I love turkey, potatoes I love, uh, but those are also foods that you eat the rest of the year. Typically, something a food that is only eaten at Thanksgiving, you will find that you don't really enjoy it the rest of the year. You just eat it because it's like it's a thing that is just societally uh, expected. 
Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson, uh, I almost said couch. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. So, um, a number of years ago, we were, uh, uh, buying a couch and we purchased the couch, got it home, could not get it into the house. But you know, we thought, well, here, I'll take the door off the frame completely out of the house. Oh, yeah, that's I wanted a great to, idea. I, I wanted, well, yeah, it made sense at the time. Um, and I, I want to replace that door anyhow. So we did that, <laughs> moved, moved the couch into the basement. Fast forward about six, seven years later, the couch is a piece of crap. It's worn out. It is dead. It's sure. no good. The new door is all nicely installed. How do we get this out of there? Son number two says, I can get it out, goes and gets the splitting wall, and begins destruction of the couch in the basement. Well, see, that's kind of fun, though. Well, he did. You know, it, was, it was a lot of fun, right up to the point when he started then burning the couch cushions in the backyard. <laughs> For that little touch of sophistication your neighborhood needed. A little well, touch you know. of St. John's. <laughs> no, Gresham, Gresham. Right next to the, well, of course. That little, you know, you know, right next to the burning tires that the neighbors have going across the street. It's, uh, you know, it's entertaining to us. That reminds me, when I was at somewhere, there is an adorable picture of me uh, when I'm, and it really is adorable, when I'm about four years old. It's me, four years old, holding a sledgehammer. And my dad, who, despite his hundreds and hundreds of personality flaws, uh, my dad was a very skilled carpenter, and my dad at one point knocked out a wall in our home when my sister uh, was no longer living with us. Um, he knocked out a wall and basically made my, doubled the size of our living room and sort of annexed my sister's room. Anyway, so but there's a great, when he got ready to knock out the wall, he gave me the greatest present you could give a small boy. He handed me a sledgehammer and said, destroy that wall, which is just <laughs> badass. That's, Especially yeah, growing up in a home that was, my mom wasn't like a nutcase, but growing up in a home where things were just so and things were supposed to be left just so and you weren't supposed to make a mess, the idea that my dad let me hit a wall in our home with a sledgehammer over and over is really great. So just picture me holding a sledgehammer hitting a wall somewhere. Yeah, when, when my oldest son moved out uh, at the fine age of uh, 20 or whatever it was, it took us a grand total of about a week to tear the wall down between his bedroom and our bedroom and make our bedroom like twice as big. Yeah. I don't know if that was sending the wrong message or not, but, right. you know. Don't come back home. That was the same message. It was That was the same message my sister was meant to receive, was, thanks for leaving, never come back. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, there you go. Uh, yeah, the biggest, biggest mistake my sister ever made was running away from home at one point because my parents just decided to make that a one-way door. Run away from home. All right. Come back. Room gone. Uh, let's see. Rick. Oh, this is from Aaron and Jen. Hey, the Durans could use a new sofa for our swanky new geek manor. Yeah, they're moving. Says, of course, we don't need yours because we're going the Tim Riley route and having one designed around our decor. Sorry. Ha, ha. You can always use the Nicolads. Thanks so much. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Paul Schaefer is worth how much? Paul Schaefer is a billionaire. Explain, please. Uh, well, apparently he did, he did a lot of shrewd investing, and people don't really know this, but he did... He did and does a lot of behind-the-scenes work. For example, here's a here's a fun fact. You know that uh, song by the Weather Girls, It's Raining Men? Oh, he's like a producer, he, too? He wrote that. Oh, uh, never mind. Paul Schaefer wrote It's Raining Men. Paul Schaefer does an amazing amount of record production. All the Blues Brothers records were arranged and engineered by Paul Schaefer. Uh, uh, produced by Paul Schaefer, rather. Uh, even up till now, like that new Peter Chris record that just came out. We had Peter Chris on the show a few minutes ago. That new Peter Chris record was arranged and produced by Paul Schaefer. Uh, and he sticks it all in investments, and he's a billionaire. So he just doesn't need to work. No. Nope. He shows up on the Letterman show and just, you know, he shows up with a love for his job that you really only get when you don't need the job. 
That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is, that's, there is nothing so wonderful as a job you don't need. Yeah, it's Scott Adams, uh, who does Dilbert, he has said this amazing thing. He said, you know, he said the great, he said the weirdest thing happens um, when you don't need your job anymore. He said all the bad things about the job go away. Exactly. There is no fear of losing your yeah, job. Yeah, what do I care? All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye now. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. Hi, Tim, how you doing today? I'm doing just fine. How's that? Uh, are you? Uh, how's the speaking going today? It sounds like you've gotten better. I, I have. Too. I have remained the same. I am unable to string together any amount of words and do a coherent sentence today. So this from somebody in the know. Oh God! If four of the five city commissioners oh, okay. are for the the name change on Fourth Avenue to Cesar Chavez, then the mayor would be the one dissenting voice. Although called a mayor, Tom Potter is technically a city commissioner as well. And since Portland has a weak mayor in more ways than one, uh, Potter is just whining now. Says this writer. I feel like such a fool for voting for this guy. Excellent. Money is power. All hail America. Maybe we should, uh, all glory to the hypno-toad. Maybe we should try to split the difference and say that everybody will be for it if it can, we have a casino. You know, it would be like a Cesar Chavez Palace. Oh, that would be even better. That was a stupid joke. I don't know why I said that. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. Hey, so... Let me ask days... you, hold on, let me stop you now, sir. How long have you been listening today? How long have I been listening today? Yes. Uh, most of the day, but occasionally I get distracted by work. All right, let me ask you this. On the classic 1 to 10 scale, where would you rate today's program? I'd, I'd give it a solid 8. It's a pretty right. good day. Hey, okay, an 8. I can live with that. Tim, can you live with an 8? Yes. Sarah? Yes. All right, fantastic. Yesterday was freaking hilarious, though. What a great day. All right, okay. Well, way to follow it up with a, with a little passive letdown. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, so a few a few days ago or last week or something, you had Yo. said how much you really wanted to taser someone on the air. Yes. And I've always had the curiosity of wanting to be tasered. I think we might be able to work together. Let me ask you this. Yo. At what age were you abused by a relative? Never, actually. Why do you want to be tasered, sir? Well, like in chemistry class, like those little shocky balls you always play with seem like a lot of fun. So I'm wondering what time. Oh, the shocky balls are like. nothing. Have you ever uh, felt like a shock collar? Wait, wait. Yeah. That's a really unpleasant hold, feeling, hold and that's on. like all... Yeah, I'm wondering what like, times more would be. No, wait, I'm so confused. Okay, first of all, uh, KS, no, comma, S? Well, what are shocky balls? Well, you know, like the, it's like a big metal ball. And has, oh, like, and you put your hand on, on it, and your, ha your hair, and yeah, your hair stands on it. Or if you like, hold metal it. away from it, it'll kind of like shock yeah. a little bit. Okay, yeah, I know what those are talking about. Yeah, so, okay. like, times 10 has got to be interesting. Now, Sarah, you said you tried a shock collar? No, um, I was getting, I got Muppet, uh, um... What's it called? A citronella collar? Yeah, yeah. And when I was looking at them, they had, like, displays, and so they let me look at the shock collar. Right, right. Set it on the lowest setting. To and yourself, yeah. Oh, my Did it God. Hurt? It is the most unpleasant feeling. Did it hurt, or was it just weird? It, I think it hurt. I don't think your brain really knows what to do. Is, so it, is it just... Huh. Uh, it's, not, it's indescribable. There's no way I can describe it. Because you. it's just a, it's a feeling of... It, it is me. so uncomfortable. Is well, it that's, just that's a feeling the, of... The curiosity comes. When you're using it, when you felt a shock color in your health, is it just a feeling of like, um, how else do I put this? It's a feeling of wrong... It felt very wrong. You're like, it, this it shouldn't be happening. And I, I, like, ripped it off my hands, and afterward, I'm like, I don't know if that hurt, but you just feel like that's not something that should be touching. Because it screws with your yeah. body and your brain. Um, we were gonna we were gonna put Scotty in a shot collar at one point and then he quit. <laughs> uh, so you are offering to be tasered. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's funny you should say this because I know Richie Bristol was actually working with somebody from the police department. Yeah, that's what he was telling me. On on coming in and doing a tasering demonstration on the air. Now I'll say this in advance. I cannot imagine the number of hurdles we will run into with CBS Legal about this, or the number of releases you would need to sign. But I'm gonna put you on hold. 
Uh, I'm going to put you on hold, and uh, Richie will get your information, and uh, who knows, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can put something together. Sweet. All right, thank you, sir. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere. Okay. All right. Who wants to get tasered? Not me. Uh, well, Not that's, me. I mean, that's what I, I mean. And I think he said he'd had it done to him before with, like, a stun gun or something. It's a really That's like, bad, bad feeling. Let me ask it, and we got to talk to uh, Lisa Desjardins in a second, and then more from Tim Riley, and then uh, 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 Jim Roop, and then what else? It seemed like there was something glorious bastard of the week. Um, here's a weird uh, question. Sir, do you remember when we were at Fantasy Video at that time? Do you remember th- there was that thing they sold there that it was like electrodes that you would hook onto your urethra, mm-hmm. and then you'd like crank it up, and it would send electricity into your urethra? So I, I mean I guess there's all it's a big world and I, I don't pass I really am not passing judgment I you know whatever it seemed like he was not only curious about it it seems like he was actually and which is fine it seems like he really wants to be tasered you know what I mean he doesn't sound like a guy who's sort of interested in what it might feel like he sounds like a guy who maybe would would sort of be into that he kind of wants to be tasered again which is you know it is different strokes for different folks so and there's a reason they sell that thing at Fantasy Video. I'm not saying that guy wants to have his urethra tasered, but I mean... All sales final in those things? <laughs> it, it, yeah, there's no scrubbing that... Uh, no. Yeah, there's no there's no amount of uh, astringent that will clean that. Oh. Dishwasher safe. <laughs> and every time we saw that urethra shocker, I would just think of Hank Hill and his narrow urethra, and then I would just dissolve into fits of laughter. I have a narrow urethra. Uh, all right, who wants to talk to Lisa Desjardins? Show of hands. Everyone, let's talk to Lisa Desjardins live from Las Vegas, Nevada. Why, hello there. Well, hello to you. How are you? You sound a little jet lagged. <laughs> you know, I did, I did have an early and early morning, but uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's the only excuse I have. All right. I, I got nothing else. How's uh? So when did you? It is now uh, what two twelve your time? What? No, you know we're we're uh yeah it's actually one twelve. One twelve. Okay, we're in the same time zone as Las we're Vegas. We're in the same time zone. Isn't oh, that amazing? Okay. All right, I was thinking is, I was thinking of Utah actually. Uh, so what time? You think about Utah a lot. Well, because I used to go from Salt Lake to Vegas occasionally. Uh, I used to live in I lived in Salt Lake for many years, and uh, when you live in Salt Lake, really the only way you can scrub that hideousness off of you is with an occasional trip to Vegas. It's sort of like a you know, Las Vegas is like a sinful sorbet that takes the angel food cake off your mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I know. I do. Uh, so how? So when did you get in? Right, uh, I got in actually two day, two days ago, uh-huh. and uh, then just doing setup. I'm sitting here now in the debate hall. Strangely enough, there's a, a one of our I guess uh, production guys in black just standing on stage, clapping slowly, repeatedly. It was a bit ominous. Now he stopped. Jim Roop is sitting right next to me. I know you're going to be talking to him later, so I don't want to, you know, try and, uh, you know, uh, tease you with any, anything too much. But, yeah, it's, it's a good time. Okay, so now I am, I'm fascinated. Yeah. I am fascinated by this. So, first of all, I yeah. should know this, but I'm not all that bright. Where is the debate actually happening? The debate's actually at UNLV. It's right next to their basketball arena in what's called the Cox Arena. Uh, and we're not actually sure uh, how often they, they use this arena. But we're right. Uh, I think that right is actually where I saw. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Is that how many people would you say it holds? About two thousand. I think that's where I saw Rush. 
Oh, you're kidding me. I, wow. I think that is where I saw Rush in 1996 uh, when they were touring on the Counterparts record, I think, and they were playing 2112 all the way through. I think that's where I saw I think that's where I saw Rush. So no Jason Desjardins somewhere is, is perking up. Excellent. Um, okay, so you and Rupert are there, and you guys are covering this, and then um, this... Uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. I don't even know where to start. Obviously, you are aware of the this this whole weirdness with the the, the John McCain video and and, yes. and Hillary. Um, yeah, I, and and also and Rick Sanchez, CNN's own Rick Sanchez, involved heavily in that situation. Now was he now is he in the room? Is he there? Uh, Rick Sanchez in, or John? in the video? No, but you know what? He Rick Sanchez is was is anchoring our uh, one of our shows right now. And he made a very big deal out of it, and uh, the McCain camp countered and, and basically was sort of saying, hey, Clinton News Network, you know, way, way to attack this, what you're attacking our candidate. And the McCain camp, I think, smartly uh, used that to try and raise some money. They said, look, the liberal media is going after us. We need, we need to get some money. But I will say that um, Rick Sanchez really was, uh, he, really, he really did go after McCain, and I, th- I think there's a very justified debate over is this a really serious issue or not with what John McCain did. And ah. I think, you know, he, he said he respected Hillary Clinton. You know, at, at what point are we just trying to make a story out of air? At what point is it a real story? I should say, for the record, I don't have any problem with what John McCain did. I think John McCain handled it the way that anybody, any candidate would handle it in that situation, which is he didn't alienate his base. In other words, he kind of mm-hmm. laughed along with the woman, and he indicated he knew what she was talking about. And then he made this sort of perfunctory, I respect Senator Clinton, whoever mm-hmm. gets the nomination. So I think he was fine. M- my thing about it, though, here's my question. My take on it is, A, it seems like if that gains any amount of traction, all that's going to do is galvanize people behind Hillary. It's certainly not going to turn off anybody to Hillary that was pre. Nobody's going to watch that and go, well, I was really a fan of Hillary, but now that woman has made me change my thinking. <laughs> right. Um, right. All it's going to do is galvanize anybody who was sort of wishy washy about Hillary because they're going to be like, well, you know, screw, screw that mindset. We're going to back her. Secondly, uh, I've heard several people sort of. And this is just, uh, I think, just speculation. I've heard several people say, well, is this a way to sort of interject a bit of viral sloganeering uh, out into the Internet, into the ether, into whatever? Is this a way to very backhandedly, passively inject this phrase into the culture so that the anti-Hillary folks sort of, you know, have something to sort of flicker around like moths to a flame? Mm. Uh, You know... I think this is actually, this is good for both Hillary and John McCain. It's good for both of their bases. I think they both win from this. It's a, it's a rarity. It's like a, I don't know, some kind of trick play by Steve Spurrier with the Gamecocks that actually works for all you football fans. But I, I really do think that both of them are winning out on this. And I think as far as the, um, putting a phrase out there, this phrase has already been out there as far, you know, you go back to Connie Chung and, hey, just tell me. Right. Between you and I. Between you and I, that's already been out there. I don't think saying this about Hillary Clinton is anything new from her most staunch opponent. Well, you know what? And I got to tell you, the only and this is my opinion. I'm putting forward a slice of editorial comment here. All of all of this indicates whether it was planted by somebody, whether it's from McCain, which it probably wasn't, whether it's just from this woman, doesn't matter. All this does is indicate how deathly. How they are full of, as Hunter Thompson would say, fear and loathing um, about mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton and their belief that if 
to quote uh, Isaac Newton's second law of motion, that if something, an outside force does not act upon Hillary's momentum and trajectory, she will be the president. That if something does not happen, she will default herself into the presidency. That is just really? my opinion. That is my there, opinion. There is, there is a crew that thinks that Hillary has peaked and that it, it really is, you know, a countdown on the clock. Is she gonna? Is she gonna have enough of a lead to get her through January? And I, right now, it looks like she will. But you know, she has had some some stumbles. And you know, this John McCain story aside, uh, she's had some issues with her stance on driver's licenses and illegal immigrants that's caused her some problems. And you know, that you that is one issue. But the idea that she's a flip flopper, I mean, I, I think parentally that that's gonna be. Come up every campaign against some candidate after John Kerry led the way, and now we're going to have everyone scared of being called a flip flopper, probably with good reason. And if she gets, if that label sticks to her, she would be in trouble. But she's a fantastic politician. Her husband's an even better politician, and you can bet she's coming into tonight very prepared for for everyone to try and point out that she has changed position ever so slightly, or even more. Uh, but then her opponents are also prepared as well. So that was going to tonight be my... is, tonight's a big night because of that. They're, this is their one, op the first opening they've had to really try and make some headway against her. We'll see if they make make anything of it. That was going to be my next question. Is really what are, what should be what should we be watching tonight? It sounds like your assessment or your your maybe prediction is that she is just going to put her arms around the ball and hunker down, and and everybody else is going to try to get their body blows in. I mean, what 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 should we be seeing or waiting to see tonight? What should we be expecting? I think she's gonna. I think she might put out some uh, some defensive strikes, but I don't think she's not gonna go on the offensive against her opponent. She doesn't need to, but she, but she may take. Uh, she's gonna have to take at some point a, a sort of strong tone uh, of defense in in which she kind of says, kind of tries puts these guys tries to put these guys in their place and say this you you guys are out of line or uh, this she might she might try and go above it and say this is the problem with politics. She will explain. She's gonna have to explain. Her change or her perceived change on illegal immigration driver's license, illegal immigrants driver's licenses. But uh, I think she's going to try and go above it. She won't go on the attack, but I think she's going to. You're going to see her throw some um, some subtle punches herself. Is it fair to say uh, that or that right now it is at, at this point that uh, that Obama is really the only serious threat to her? I mean, is, is Edwards a factor? Edwards could be a factor, and the, the reason is because the, in the first three states that will vote in January, you've got the Iowa caucuses, then New Hampshire, then Nevada caucuses. And the way caucuses work is if, you're, if a candidate in any one precinct doesn't get a certain number of votes, uh, they're eliminated. And then all, everyone who voted for that candidate then can cast a vote for someone else. And so the issue is maybe Hillary Clinton has a lot of people voting for her for first place, but how about all those other Democratic candidates that might not meet the threshold? If if their second place choice is John Edwards, right. he could he could rise to the top, and we could see a surprise from him. I think he's still a factor. Uh, all right. What, that, what time does this uh, get underway? Uh, Pacific time. Pacific time. This gets underway 5 p.m. 5 p.m. I'm going to make sure my TiVo is set for this. 5, 5 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Actually, 5:10. If you want to know exactly, they'll spend 10 minutes. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, enthralling you with our various CNN personalities. <laughs> Excellent. I am all over that. All right. Um, well, we will talk to you. I, I guess you're there tomorrow as well, right? 
Yes, right. Oh. I'll be here. Well, you know, actually, I may be on a plane this time tomorrow. Now All right. Well, about it. well, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you tomorrow. If not, uh, if not, then if we do not, uh, I, we have a safe uh, flight back. Uh, I'm gonna do, okay. do me a favor. I'm gonna we're gonna finish here. I'm gonna put you on hold really quickly, okay. and Sarah's gonna talk to you real briefly off the air. So hang tight for just a second. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. All right, okay. there you go, Lisa Desjardins. Lisa's on hold there. All right, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Say that back after this, the Rick Emerson Show. into his fifth pie, Lord S. began to imagine that he wasn't eating pies. He pretended he was eating cow fox and rat guts and blueberry sauce. Slowly, a sound started to build in Lord S.'s stomach. A strange and scary sound, like a log truck coming at you at a hundred miles an hour. opened his mouth and before Bill Travis knew it he was covered with five pies worth of used blueberries the women in the audience screamed boss man Bob Cormier took one look at Bill Travis and barked on Principal Wiggins Principal Wiggins barked on the lumberjack that was sitting next to him Mayor Grundy barked on his wife's but when the smell hit the crowd that's when Lardass' plan really started to work Girlfriends barfed on boyfriends. Kids barfed on their parents. A fat lady barfed in her purse. The Donnelly twins barfed on each other. And the women's auxiliary barked all over the benevolent order of antelopes. And Mardash just sat back and enjoyed what he created. A complete and total barforama. Fantastic. And that one woman in the bar for Rama scene looks just like Lulu Hogg. Or what's her name from Hee Haw? Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming by. Uh, in just a few minutes, we'll be talking to Andy Lindbergh, uh, most famous uh, for his role as Lardass Hogan in Stand By Me in the Great Pie Eat. All right. Uh, what else? Jim Rube coming up about half an hour from now. Oh, Andy Lindbergh has a blog, and I was just reading it, and it just said, I just moved to New York just in time for the Writers Guild and Stagehand Strike. Might not be the best time to try and be an emerging actor. In your face. All right. So uh, he just moved to New York four days ago. I think, I think from here. I think actually he moved from Portland to New York. I think that is the deal. Uh, also, uh, we can't play this yet, but it did. It, we do now have word. I say as though it's like the, as though it's like the Paris Peace Treaty. Uh, we have word that Steve Kastenbaum was putting together or has put together a story about these live performances of Thirty Rock and SNL based on a tip from Sarah Dillon. Look at you! Look at you influencing yeah, well, the media. I, ha- I have it, but I don't know if I can play it. I'm writing it. to him right now. Well, because he said it's going to be on the website shortly. Well, how great is that? You realize you have just affected the coverage on CNN. Yay! I mean, I know it was in the Post, but he was sort of oblivious to it. It's all you. So, do you have a newfound sense of power? I do. All right. Hey, I got an, uh, I got an offer for 200 bucks on my sofa. That's awesome. So, uh, you know what you should in do? your face, Lara's friend that wanted to give us 120 bucks for it. I was thinking about it. You should get the sofa out of your house and give it to one of your friends that nobody really knows from the show. So that way, you don't like nobody needs to know where you live. 
Uh, somebody's standing at the door. It's Sarah it's Wagner. It's Sarah Wagner. Wait, who are you again? <laughs> yeah. Here's your breakdown of tickets. Of what, this was what remains? Yes. All right, excellent. And I also knew a woman that was in the bar scene. Really? She was uh, my mom's childhood friend. Is this my punishment for not being nicer to you that now yes. we don't get to know? It is your punishment. Thank you, Sarah Wagner. You're welcome. There you go. What does she do? She was on the gymnasium. She was on the gymnasium. Sarah, most known. It's the gymnasium, Sarah Wagner. Let's always introduce her as that from now on. No. All right. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we've got, oh, we had a guy with Jim Steinman news, but now he's gone away. Oh. He hung up. That's horrible. That is. It's what we get for taunting Sarah Wagner. Now we don't, don't get to know the Jim Steinman news. All right. Andy Lindbergh and a few. Jim Roop later on uh, at the Ministry of Truth. Now is Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth. This is Tim Riley. So there was the uh, bank robber, and the garden fell in love and jail, and they got married when he appeared in court in Tacoma. 28-year-old Jimmy James Hamilton smiled at ah. 29-year-old Sarah Camillo, who was at the courthouse yesterday when he was sentenced to serve 14 years in prison. They didn't talk. There was no ceremony. The next day, the marriage for bearing their signatures was received by the Pierce County Auditor's Office. Hamilton's lawyer, Leslie Tolson, said the marriage was performed by attorney William T. Farrell, who was qualified to perform marriages. Prosecutors and sheriff's officials are puzzled. They had turned on a request for a jail wedding. Uh, the lady left her job in September under investigation for custodial misconduct because of her relationship with the inmate, but love conquered all. Police have jailed a 14-year-old boy from Longview for investigation of vehicular homicide. He was racing a car, 14 years old. And kill some kid. Oh, by the way, he was previously convicted for drunk driving and reckless driving. You know, you know what I can hear sometimes in your voice. I can hear the, what are these kids today doing with their fast thrills and cheap kicks? I can totally hear that, like between the lines of your news <laughs> reading. Sometimes it's fantastic. Well, an Oregon man is crossing the U.S. by horse to protest TV news. He hails from the ranch country of Oregon. That's out east somewhere. Uh, Bill Inman decided to show more than what's shown on TV. All these gloom and doom headlines. So he humped aboard his trusty horse and started riding. Some 1,700 miles later, why, he's run into some curious folk. Hundreds of interesting people along the way. Take the Dodge City man who collects bridle bit spurs and barbed wire. A Wyoming deputy sheriff who drove 25 <laughs> miles to a rainstorm to bring dinner to the Inmans. And a Wyoming woman who gave Bill a pair of stirrups she bought as a Christmas gift to her grandson before he was killed in a car wreck. These are the stories that TV news isn't covering. So he's like... And this American cowboy thinks they should. So he's like he's like an equestrian Charles Kuralt. Yes. How often did he get to use that phrase? Well, we don't know if he has a mistress. <sighs> I don't know. I was just happy to be able to use equestrian on the air. That was All a right. big word. Yes. Well, uh, Angelina Jolie's adoption of uh, an elephant, not an elephant, an Ethiopian boy, it was legal. That, according to the agency involved in the adoption, which also rejected reports that Wonderful. the child's relatives want two-year-old Zahara back. Reports along those lines are... Zahara back? His name Zahara. Is Zahara. I, uh, I swear to God, for a minute, I thought you were doing some weird recitation of the Gwen Stefani song. No. Okay, I, it was weirding me out there for a second. All right. I don't do songs. <laughs> okay. I'm not into hip-hop. An official who conducted the adoption said the child's uh, grandmother stated in a document that the natural mother was dead. She was too poor to raise this young in herself. The official called Jolie's adoption of the girl legal and, well, legal. 
They also blame reporters who paying relatives to raise a dispute about the adoption. Can you imagine them doing that? No. They should be out car- taking stories about barbed wire and stirrup collecting and whatnot. Little bits of scrap. Yes. What is it that Marion Ravenwood said? Abner dragged me halfway around the world looking for his little bits of junk. See you tomorrow, Dr. Jones. Or whatever. I'm mangling that quote all the hell. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Let us now welcome to the Rick Emerson radio program a man who looms large in the filmic consciousness, uh, no pun intended. Let us now welcome Andy Lindbergh, uh, most famous for his role as Lardass Hogan in Stand By Me, the 1980 film by Rob Reiner. Andy, hello. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so, first and foremost, before we plunge kind of headlong into this, um, I know you have a website because I went there, and then it's like I closed the browser and I'd forgotten to write it down. Is I'm it just, on it right now. It's Andy Lindbergh. It is just AndyLindbergh.com? Yes. All right. A-N-D-Y-L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G.com? That is correct. Man, right. you are busy. There's just like link after link of all these things you're involved in. Well, you know, it's it's nice to it's nice to show off what I do and what my friends do. So and so, what you know. are you? So this is the big question: What are you doing uh, right now? I know that there was Sarah read me a both both humorous and sad uh, entry about how you moved to New York just in time for the strike to to happen. <laughs> yeah, my my timing is absolutely perfect. You know, I show up and 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 all the work shuts down. Um, yeah, uh, about a month and a week or two ago, I uh, uh, abandoned my life in uh, fabulous Portland and have moved to uh, cold and rainy New York. Now, what, now, how uh, long are you from Portland originally? Yeah, born and bred. And how long? Uh, how old are you, if I can ask? I was born in 1970. I'm 37. All right, and so you lived here for the totality of your life up until recently? Yeah. And so was now about the Stand by Me thing. Then that was film. I got to know this because you're in the Northwest. You hear about Stand by Me and the Goonies like every day. It's like legally required that every <laughs> 90 minutes someone go. You know, the Goonies was filmed in Astoria. Um, how did the Stand by Me thing come to happen? Well, I was doing um, theater in Portland when I was in middle school and, and high school, and. Um, um, I mean, they announced it on the radio that they were casting for a Stephen King movie set in the 50s. Um, and so some friends and I put on our, our chucks and, and some uh, Levi's and, and tried to look as 50s as we could and went in. And, and um, um, I had a video audition, and then I read for a casting agent, and then I went to the film uh, center of, of Oregon, Eugene, and um, read for Rob Reiner and Andrew Scheinman and, and uh, writers and producers, and they called me up and I had the part. Now, did you read for any of the other parts as well, or was this, or did, it, did you get there and they tell you like this is what we want you to read for? Well, when when I first found out that I was getting a callback, I, I read the book The Body, which uh, Stand by Me is is based on. And I was hoping that I was that they were reading me for Vern. Right. Um, and then I was at rehearsal for some show that I was in at the time, and some uh, someone that you know how they knew that I was I got this callback. I don't know. They said, "Hey, I hear you're you're uh, reading for the throw-up guy." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> pew 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 pew." But uh, 
I, I quickly shifted gears and decided that was just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Um, you just reminded me of, of something. John Fevreau actually tells a really funny story about how he went to uh, he went to read for the Shawshank Redemption. He went to do audition for the Shawshank Redemption, and there was the there was the role of of uh, fat ass is what the guy's name was, and he's the guy who yeah. I think is beaten to death on the first night in jail or whatever. Yeah. And he, yes. He said that, like, he found the auditioning process so intimidating where, like, they had all the power and you as the lowly actor sort of felt very small and sort of powerless. And he said he actually just did a little psychological trick where it, when he went in to read for Fat Ass, he actually went in and he goes, uh, Hi, my name is John. I'm here to read for the role of uh, Fatas. And... He kept calling. He kept calling it. Yeah, yeah, I'm here to audition for Fatas. And he made them actually go. No, it's 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 not. It's badass. And just just as like a little psychological thing. So now in in the movie, it certainly it seems like you're like a a big guy, and I mean a tall guy uh, too. Is that uh, is that unreal? Did they pad you up or something? Or are you just a big guy at that point? Well, I mean, I, you know, I I I, I suffer from obesity as many Americans do, um, but. They also put me in a huge fat suit um, when, uh, you know, when the, the fat suit, the top and the bottom were on, um, I was wearing size 60 Levi's and, you know, God knows how many X's were, were on, on the shirt. Right. And so they, you know, and they had three or four versions of the costume so that they could, you know, wash the, the puke off, um, which, you know, made it a lot easier because it's not... Me, I'm not that big. Never was that big, and so it. Uh, so you're not like that. Uh, you're not like the Gilbert Grape woman who, you know, they they put an <laughs> ad like seeking incredibly obese woman to be made fun of on screen for two hours. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's it's all it's all very cartoony and uh, and you know was it made it a lot a lot more uh, uh, a lot easier for me to justify. Um, and then, of course, for the rest of my life, I'm known as Lardass. Now, so. is that? I, and I guess they say that any fame is sort of good fame. I mean, was there? Do, do you? I mean, how do you feel about that? Or did you maybe go through a phase where you were like, "Hey, you Lardass," you're like, "Shut up! I did Shakespeare." You know, just just angry about it, or? Well, there, you know, there there have been only a few moments where, uh, for whatever reason, I was down enough to to take it seriously, but. You know, I remember someone asked me once, well, you know, aren't you a little embarrassed? And it's like, yeah, dude, what movie were you in? <laughs> I, I can't remember what well-loved American classic film you were involved with. Dude, you are my uh, new hero. Good for you. Good for you. You, you are fantastic. <laughs> God bless you. Uh, we're talking to Andy Lindbergh from Stand By Me and then other, you know, you were in also, well, two other things. Um, so you were, uh, I guess, the, the singer and songwriter and guitarist for Captain Bog and Salty. Yes, one of one of the the crew of six. Yes, yes, indeed, and and still am. I mean, you know, I have uh, um, I've gone off to uh, to command my own ship, as as uh, we told the kids. But uh, uh. yeah, still with still with the band. They're still playing, uh, recording another album, and and um, you know, whenever I'm back in Portland, or if we can manage to uh, get the other crew to the uh, East Coast, we'll. Well, we shall play again. Excellent. Uh, and then we have had sort of the, the reason this whole thing came about. And I don't know if, if Richie told you this when, you, when he answered the phone in there, but I we had a guy uh, about a month and a half ago, and he's like, "Hey, you know that uh, 
that lardass guy in Stand By Me? And I said, yeah. And he goes, he was my camp counselor. He and was a squid ca- camp counselor as well. So we have had multiple people say that you were their camp counselor. But here's the strange thing. Before you even answer it, here's the weird thing about it. The thing that gave it the sort of hint of urban legend to me was that these were people of varying ages from different camps. And so I wondered if it was that thing that got passed around, you know, like, you know, you know, that, you know, that guy on the, you know, that guy on the, that lead, that Mr. Green Jeans guy, you know, he's Marilyn Manson's father. I wonder if this was, if it was like an urban legend. So were you a camp counselor and where? Uh, yes, I've, I've, I uh, had a wonderful career working for, for camps and for outdoor school. Um, and God, I think the first time I worked at a summer camp was in the summer of 87. Um, most of the work I did was for Multnomah County Outdoor School. Um, and, you know, the, the funny thing is that it, I still get notoriety at camps for the, I mean, I get notoriety for the film everywhere. Um, and, you know, at camps, of course, you adopt a nickname, and my nickname at camp uh, is Walrus. And uh, and so they they don't even know my real name and and my my favorite thing is when someone will accuse me of of you know spreading an urban legend or lying uh-huh. and of course it's so easily uh, proven or disproven it's like yeah uh, what possible benefit do I have from claiming that I'm lardass <laughs> it's not really sort of the thing that one would manufacture to increase one's street cred I guess yes yes exactly it's not going to get me a seat on the front of the bus you know <laughs> no um so we'll wrap this up here in a second the website is andylindberg.com a-n-d-y-l-i-n-d-b-e-r-g dot com andylindberg.com my final question uh, because this is the thing my friends and I always wondered is, well, just very briefly, how did the vomit work? And, I mean, it was just a tube on the side of your mouth, I would imagine. And also, did you have to shoot that scene a hundred times and eat, for real, a whole bunch of pies? <laughs> um, I calculated that I put my face in close to 350 pies Damn. over the over the course of the shoot. In fact, they were real pies. I didn't I didn't eat them. I I didn't like pie before and I definitely don't like pie now. <laughs> but they were real pies and there were crystals of rock sugar on the pies that cut my nose. Damn. And so at the end of the day I would, you know, I'd have these thin sliver cuts on my nose from the pies. Um and the the vomit was like a four inch vacuum tube that they literally taped to the side of my face, and then it went down to a ten gallon cylinder with a plunger on the top, and they got five of the crew members to push down with all their might on this ten gallons of blueberry pie filling and large curd cottage cheese. Oh. And then just, it would come out, and you, know, you watch it, and it, you know it fluctuates from coming out of my mouth to part of my mouth, most of my nose, down into the chin. Oh. Um, and their their first shot at it was actually with um, like a, a high pressure water sprayer. Uh-huh. So you know, with 150 pounds of pressure, uh, shooting the poor guy that I'm vomiting on. Uh, I'm sure he just had welts from the first attempts at the vomit. But uh, and that's uh, that's going to be a bad day for that guy too. That yeah, he's in a film, but he's getting he's getting lukewarm cottage cheese and blueberry all over him. Yes, yes, exactly. And then they just take him out and hose him off and try it again. The glorious world of film. 
Uh, exactly. Right, very quickly, we should do one phone call. I want to know. So, part yes. of New York do you live in, Andy? Um, I'm uh, I'm up just right between Washington Heights and Inwood on uh, Manhattan. Oh, cool. Do you like it so far? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's a, it's a fun neighborhood. I'm right by uh, some parks that you know make me think of Portland and. A couple blocks down is uh, Broadway and St. Nicholas, and that's, you know, hustling and bustling, and I feel very authentic. Now, when you're are in New York, are you uh, now are, are you there to sort of uh, to be a writer or to be an actor or to be both? Or, like, what is your – where does the brass ring in New York as far as you're concerned? Well, the the – the real reason is, is um, you know, as you mentioned with, with Bog and Salty, I'm also a singer. So the hope is to be able to find, you know, performing opportunities. Ideally, uh, musical theater would be great, but uh, uh, Stand By Me will keep opening doors. I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, so I may get film before I get anything on stage. Excellent. Let's do uh, let's take one call here. Hi. Uh, uh, let's see. Dominic, you're on the Rick Emerson Show with Andy Lindberg. Hey, Rick. What's up? What's up? Hey, Andy. Hey. Hey. Uh, I, my uh, my childhood hazy memory has been confirmed. I remember you at Camp Howard. You you were Camp Howard, right? At one yeah, point, yeah, yes, I was. Yep, and you were Walrus. And the, the the rumor around camp was that you were the guy from Stand by Me, but none of those kids were really sure. And now that now that this memory has been confirmed, I am that much more complete. Awesome, you're vindicated. Excellent. I am totally freaking vindicated. So, and <laughs> one other question: Did you ever live in the Selwood area in Portland? I did. I did. I went to Selwood Middle School. Sweet. I went to St. Agatha just down the street, and I was always told that you lived in the neighborhood. And uh, did you know anybody like? Uh, oh, never mind. I won't mention names. But anyway, <laughs> you remember old what's his name? And... But anyway, right. uh, awesome. Uh, thanks, thank, Rick. Thank you, Dominic. It. All right, there you go. All right, Andy Lindbergh. The website is andylindbergh.com. L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G. Uh, well, continued success. Uh, I know the I, we mentioned Captain Bog and Salty, and immediately I got emails uh, from people who you know their kids are into it, and it's just it's a big thing. So yeah. best of luck in New York. Thanks for sparing some time with us, and thanks for being an indelible part. Part of uh, my childhood and the childhood of a lot of people, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Thanks. All right, there you go. Andy Lindbergh, ladies and gentlemen. Richie, you want to uh, talk in briefly? What a great guy. Well, how cool is that guy? Wow. And and you know what? He is... And he's then with the fact that, you know, that that's his big that's thing his that thing. he's done. Well, and the fact that he said he went through that phase of like, yeah, what kind of, you know, <laughs> what movie you been in, jackass? Mm -hmm. So that is so great. And he isn't, like, he, you hear, I don't want to be all like, uh, whatever, morose, not morose, that's not the word, uh, maudlin about it, but I mean, you hear from so many child actors that are like bitter, and they're just pissed off, and they're junkies, and they're, you know, whatever, and, you know, it's just not like he was, you know, star in the, like the Danny Bonatucci level or something, you know, as a kid, but I mean, you know, he was introduced into the Hollywood star system early uh, by being in a big movie, and, uh, you know, and he's cool with it, and, you know, and he's not all, and he's not all like angry about the fact that he's, that he's lardass. This is weird. I can't tell if this is a joke or not. What? So I'm on his website, and then there's this linking click on that says the Reverend Andy Lindbergh, uh -huh. and then there's this crazy looking picture of him, and it says, as a reverend of the Universal Life Church of Modesto, California, I have a great many spiritual responsibilities. If you're looking for comfort and enlightenment, look no further, my child. Well, I think you can, uh... Is he uh, a little kooky? I think you can become uh, a universal, isn't that one of those things you send away for, Tim? Isn't that one of those, uh, I think that's one of those uh, titles that you send away for, like, out of a magazine or something. So, all right. Uh, let's get this uh, Jim Steinman news here, and uh, then we'll take a break here in a few. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick. Hey. Hello, Tim. And all hail the beautiful Hello. Sarah. Hello. Um, I just wanted to let you know, up here in Seattle at the Fifth Avenue Theater, they are running a show right now called Whistle Down the Wind, music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Jim Steinman. Really? Yeah. 
I've ne- is it what, Wait, what kind say that of, again? It's a music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Jim Steinman, and it's where? It's at the Fifth Avenue Theater here in Seattle, and uh, I just thought it's running now. Um, What's it called? Whistled Down, Whistle the, Down wind. the Wind. Have you seen it? I have not. I wonder what it's about. I do, too. Honestly, it looks a touch queer, and I don't mean that in the bad way. Uh, of course not. But, uh, you, have, you have many friends who are in musical theater. That's correct. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I just I thought I would pass it along. I drove oh, to work this morning. And... All right, whistle down the wind. I'm going to Wikipedia that. Hey, I wanted to ask you also, yeah. uh, in, in the in the category of books, I try, will try to keep it brief. Um, I just read Youth and Revolt. Yes, sir. Amazing. Yeah, it was a fantastic book. Don't read the sequels. That's what, that's what you said. Um yeah, I'm OCD. I'm gonna have to, but but I. I All right, you're okay. warned that the okay. sequels are bad. Now I know you guys dig Palinuk. Uh, yeah, Sarah more so than I. But yeah, I've read several Palinuk books. I loved Lullaby, and I loved uh, Fight Club. The others of you know I run hot and cold, but those two I especially yeah. And you recently told Sarah uh, good luck with Tom Robbins. Um, but have you guys ever read Irvine Welsh? No, mm-hmm. I, I don't know who that is. He wrote Train Spotting. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I have yeah, read right. that. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. No. His character development is second to none. His books are just. Crazy and amazing, and often compared to Palinuk, um, I thought I would throw okay. that out. Irvine Welsh. Excellent. Well, I'm actually, I say this now knowing I'm going to get a flood of whatevers, but I'm between books now. I just finished World War Z, and I don't know what to read, and I'm kind of at loose ends. I tried to read the new Copeland, J-Pod, and I just couldn't get into it for some reason. I think I'm not in a kind of Copeland mood right now, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm looking for something to read. Have and you read Cormac McCarthy's The Road? No. Is it that- fiction? It is fiction. I read very little fiction, so but- anything you ask me about, I will probably not have read. This is a book that I, I, I was in Mexico in July for a week, and I spent one of those days reading that book because I couldn't put it down. All right. It will haunt you, and, and it's just it's incredible. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Yeah. All right, excellent. I'll look into it. All righty. Thank you, sir. Thank you. There you go. All right. Yeah, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for this right now. Whistle down the wind. I, I own Train Spotting. if you want to borrow it. The book? Mm-hmm. Is it good? Yes. I might want to read it. Yeah, I got nothing to read right now. I, I just finished World War Z, and I picked up a couple things, and... At home that I got that I haven't read, and there's nothing really grabbing me right now. It's, it's, I, I hate being I hate being in a place where I can't. Do you want find me to bring you something? Do you want me to bring you a book? Yes, bring me something, fiction or non. Bring me something that I should read. Okay. I was thinking about reading High Fidelity again, but I, we gave away our copy, uh, and I don't want to buy it. So, do you have that? What High Fidelity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you bring that? Yeah. And I'll, I'm gonna plow, I'll plow through that in a couple of days because I want to read it again, but I don't want to pay for it. Okay. Um. All right. Okay. It's a, Yes, Tim? Oh, I was just uh, looking at that. Bill Pullman is starring in uh, Edward <gasps> Elby's Peter and Jerry at the Second Stage Theater in New York City. Hopefully really? that program is still going on. Well, it is Bill the, Pullman. It the can't superb be stopped. Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman can't be stopped by a strike, Tim. Nothing can stop Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman's like the definition of paunchy lately, though. He's... Have you seen him? He all has like some weird military buzz cut and yeah. he's all squishy. No, and there's, you know, that hair of his, he should do something about that. He's an actor. I, yeah, all right. Whistle Down the Wind is a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber based on the 1961 film. The lyrics are by Jim Steinman. Fantastic. Um, oh, we got the uh, go-ahead from Steve Kastenbaum. Oh, really? play a story. Yeah, it's only okay. 30 seconds long. So let's stop. There is. I know that you think it's the drugs doing this to me today. It is the drugs. I want you off of the drugs. The drugs are doing nothing good for you. You can't take them away! Really, how bad was your sleep before the drugs? It was bad. It was bad. I'm not trying to be you know melodramatic about it. I will say that uh, my... Can we look at any natural remedies or something? Well, I've tried melatonin, which is the only natural thing that works for me, but it makes me incredibly groggy for, like, hours and hours and Well, this hours. one makes you incredibly crazy. I don't. I think I'm no more crazier than normal. See, and I can tell that you're crazy because you're getting defensive about it, which means that defensive. you can sense your inner crazy. It's not being defensive. I simply have my own take on this. But how about this? At the end of the week, 
Tomorrow uh, is Friday. How about we'll have the listeners vote on whether I'm more crazy or not? You know what we should do? You should um, pick a day. And like, not, three not take row? them? Exactly. And you have to make me guess. Like, next week, the five days? Well, you'll be able to spot it because I, because I will be sleepy, you know, and I'll be a little twitchy from lack of sleep, probably. So, I mean, you will be able to spot it. There's no question about that. The question is, is it better to have me uh, uh, rested and twitchy or tired and twitchy? I'm never really calm. Remember the I... words of Nancy Reagan. Just say no. Learn more about cures and drugs. The Library of Congress suggests these books. Getting Tough on Gateway Drugs. Hold on. God for the Family by Robert L. Zupan. Getting Tough. And Not My Kid, A Parent's Guide to Kids and Drugs by Beth Tolson and Dr. Miller Not, Not My, my kid. kid. All right, done. Kid. Done and done. Thank you. We're just, we're just a little concerned, Rick. I just want to be able to sleep. I mean... I'm not taking crazy medication. I just don't want to lay there, like, staring at the ceiling, going, why do people tap on the top of soda cans? Well, you know, some medications work best for some people and some not for some people. Yeah. Because there are different, like, different, like, if you're taking, like, an antidepressant, like, some antidepressants work well with certain personalities and people, and some yeah. don't, so you have to find your Well, that's why I took, like, I took Prozac and Zoloft both, and I said, F that, because uh, they were not good for me. All right, we're so busy, but we got to stop and take a breath. Tim's totally leaving. Tim's not going to do any breathtaking with us. All right. He's leaving because he can. Just one second here. I just have to take uh, just a little. <sighs> what do you want to do? Well, there's so much to get done. All right. Let's make a list. All right. I have my sticky notes. I love you. Let's make a list. All right. Uh, let's see. Listing. Okay. Roop. We got Roop at 210. Okay. I got to talk about this Geeks Night Out. I got to do that now. We have to now. call the low. We have to call the low. Oh, that's the other thing. Geeks Night Out. The low. Geeks Night Out. Yeah. That's, i got to describe that first. Okay, and I'm going to number them because I'm OCD. Number one. Steve casting bombs. Okay, casting bombs thing. That That's can only wait. like 30 seconds. Okay, and that can wait, too, because we have a whole hour to do that. Geeks Night Out, first. Roop, second. Low, third. Then Tim, then casting bomb. We can finish later because that's short. Okay. Mm -hmm. Geeks Night Out. Now, as you know, we have uh, the AM 970 Glorious Bastards, and we got a break here in a second. We've got the AM 970 Glorious Bastards, and a lot of times you'll hear us do things on the air, like we got the Glorious Bastard of the Week, or we'll say, hey, you Glorious Bastards, you're eligible to win whatever. Sometimes, Dave's in. What's he doing? Oh, he brought your paycheck. <gasps> uh, all right, so uh, sometimes we do giveaways to the Glorious Bastards that we don't talk about on the air. We just send out a thing, and sometimes a glorious bastard will just open their uh, they'll open their email and it'll be like, "Hey, you random bastard, uh, you know, you've just won a DVD, a CD, a ticket to a thing, or whatever." Uh, so there's some stuff that we give, and then there's this. This is a thing that we give the, the we give the glorious bastards first crack at this, uh, and then the things that are not claimed by the glorious bastards we open up to just the general people. So here's what we've got, and this is tonight. Now tonight. Uh, this is a thing that we didn't really tell anybody about. If you weren't a glorious bastard, you didn't know about it. But now this is your chance, just the uh, the assembled folks, to hear about this. Um, there is tonight a special, pardon me, big screen presentation. I've got nasal congestion. Okay. Yeah, because you keep doing that like once a minute. Because I, I don't want to. If you're okay. Uh, no, I've got. No, it's just the. Uh, it's kind of gross. I've got like you know, like no, I've got, like my nose is kind of congested. Uh, like I. You know, like I just have a little trouble breathing in one of my nostrils. And I don't want to be the guy like going into the microphone. So I'm pulling my head away to try to get my nasal congestion under control. Not a big deal. It's, it's not gross. Not to, you know, take care of it during the break. Uh, tonight there is a special big screen presentation of Star Trek The Menagerie. 
Now, Star Trek The Menagerie, geeks will know this, it is the only two-part episode of the original Star Trek ever created. They have now made this into one brand, it's a brand new print, they've merged the two of these into one feature-length motion, like a motion picture-length presentation. It is a big screen presentation of Star Trek The Menagerie, merged into one 90-minute film with a special introduction by Gene Roddenberry's uh, son. And that is tonight. It's the first time I think it's ever been shown in the theater. It is a brand new print, a big screen presentation of Star Trek The Menagerie. Now, we've scored a handful of tickets uh, for the following times and theaters. Now, the Glorious Bastards were alerted to this, uh, I think, a day or so ago. Uh, we now have a few left at the front desk, and they are going to be uh, first come, first served. I'm going to tell you that right now. They are here at 2040 Southwest 1st Avenue in Portland. That's where we're located, 2040 Southwest 1st. Uh, they will be available until either A, they run out, or until close of business, which is 530 so we have tickets available to the following theaters. Some of these are already gone. Um, the showings are at 7.30 tonight and 10.30 tonight. We have uh, some remaining tickets for Cascade 16, which is in Vancouver, Evergreen Parkway, and the Bridgeport 18. And I think we may have a couple left for the Division Street Theater. Uh, it's a division, the Regal Division. So... Um, you can either call ahead to Dave's Inn, or, but I would recommend actually just coming down to the station. you got to come by to get these. They are at the front desk now. Uh, you got to walk in and identify yourself as an AM970 listener. We are at 2040 Southwest 1st. Uh, and, again, there are only a few of these remaining, but there are a handful of tickets for each of these theaters for tonight's big screen presentation of Star Trek The Menagerie, a brand-new clean print featuring an introduction by Gene Roddenberry's kids. So, uh, anyway, so there you go. Uh, they are here at 2040 Southwest First. First come, first served. So there you go. That is our Geeks Night Out. And another reminder that if you were a glorious bastard, you heard about this yesterday. So uh, you can sign up to become one at 970.am. Uh, we'll take a break here. We come back. Jim Roop. Uh, then we are going to uh, try to contact the low and enlist uh, his hope with doing a little something for Jim and Lisa today. Then we got news. Then we got an exciting bit of business from Steve Kastenbaum. It's all very thrilling. I'm playing a little Walkman. They're playing at the Dunkirk. Oh, okay. I didn't know what this was. Excellent. Okay. Uh, back after this, the Rick Emerson Show. Say this. That is our number. Uh, yeah, so those Geeks Night Out Star Trek tickets, those are at the front desk right now, 2040 Southwest First, but uh, going quickly, so uh, you want to do that now. Coming up later on in the hour, we have more from Tim Riley uh, and a little, uh, I don't know, a little inside scoop from our friend Steve Kastenbaum. Ladies and gentlemen, let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from Las Vegas. On location in Las Vegas, where everything good and bad is happening, CNN radio correspondent and golden deity, James Roop. Hello, sir. You know, there's a lot more good than bad, sir. <laughs> yeah, hey, seen... Speaking of good and bad, though, yeah. I've been looking in Forbes, the business wires. I've not seen Scotty J's name yet. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Can I just tell you this? This is a true story. We, t we uh, called him on the air about two weeks ago because... I swear to you this is true. One of his great uh, regrets about leaving this program um, was that he always wanted us to interview the band Loverboy. Uh, 
because he's like a gigantic lover boy fan for some reason. Really? Yeah, I go figure. I don't know. He's you know. I mean, everybody's working for the weekend, lover boy. Exactly. Whatever that, whatever that. Yeah. Was. Everybody's working for the weekend and uh, loving every minute of it. It's exactly same band. And for whatever reason, uh, look, I mean, I have interesting music that I listen to, but he's really into Loverboy. And he was like, you got to get Loverboy on. I'd love to talk to Mike Reno from Loverboy. I'm like, well, whatever, dude. So he quits the show, and I swear to you, he quits the show, and last week I get an unsolicited thing from a press agent saying, hey, Mike Reno's coming through town pimping the new Loverboy album. Do you want to have him on? I call Scotty. And I say, we called him on the air, and I said, hey, you know, look, I got this chance. You know, Mike Reno might be on the show. Why don't you come back for one day? We'll have you sit in on the show for a day. You'll get to interview Mike Reno from Loverboy, and then you can feel like you can check that off your list of things to do before you die. And he's like, well, I'll look into that. And so while we're talking to him, keep in mind, he left the show uh, over a month ago now. Right. I said to him, hey, so you've been gone about three weeks. Uh, have you made any money yet? And he actually, without missing a beat, just went, well, no. So there you go. Just poor guy. He gets chosen poorly. There you go. Oh man. All right. Um, always choose the bigger box. That's what I say. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's. Uh, I mean, it re and it, it, never go for what's behind the door either, because it's always just a big box of poo. That's sure. all it is. It would be, it's a box of horse droppings. Well the done. Stuff's behind the door. Exactly. Uh, all right, so uh, there's just so much going on today. Sarah and I were just talking about this. The, the world is spinning a little faster on its axis today. So, OJ, um, I mean, we've, I've talked about this off and on uh, for the last couple of days and in the last couple of hours just relentlessly, but did this surprise you the, that he's being uh, kicked up to trial? No. I remember we talked yesterday. I, yeah. I thought some of the charges would be reduced a little bit or some of them wouldn't, wouldn't stick around. But, but it's all 12, right? But yeah, it's all 12, and 11 of them are felonies. And the the explanation by the judge was pretty good. I mean, he was a little sharper than I, you know, than I allowed him to be in my own brain. Um, but especially that kidnapping statute in the state of Nevada, it is so broad that if you entice someone or just confine someone, that's first degree kidnapping. Right. And and among other things that fit that fit that particular situation uh, on September 13th. So both those counts are going, are, are going with him. And that's the one that could really give him a life sentence if, uh, if convicted. I mean, the, the thing that I just found so unbelievable that if you scripted this, no one would believe it, is that among the items apparently he was going in to retrieve uh, is the suit that he was wearing when he got acquitted for killing Ron and Nicole. Yeah, the, the, the acquittal suit, the, the suit he was wearing the day... Uh, of the acquittal and several ties that he wore throughout that trial, yeah. uh, among other personal items. I mean, uh, you know that he wanted. That is just the very definition. Again, if you know you saw that in a movie, you would never believe it. The idea that, you know, it, I mean, it, that in a very real sense, had he not, uh, you know, committed that crime in the first place, as the civil jury found him guilty of, if he had not committed that crime in the first place, he wouldn't be now facing life in prison because he wouldn't have had anything to go in and steal back. That's true. I mean, it is it, that is an ending that only uh, only Sophocles could have come up with. I mean, it is unbelievable the way that that is sort of a a cyclical and closing of the circle kind of thing. I still say it's going to be that's how it goes down, Capone. That's how you're going down. I the uh, do you see what what he said? Yes. Well, first of all, there are two insane statements. One, somebody asked his lawyer, "How does you know how does OJ feel about this?" And the lawyer said, "Well, he's going to spend his time golfing." Yeah, I was there yesterday. Yeah, and you would just think that of all the things to say. 
you wouldn't at this point refer to OJ doing any more golfing because we we got enough of that from him last time. I'd say he'd be in he's going to be in church praying, <laughs> doing social service work exactly. with the poor. Exactly, he's going to be praying. Night, he's joining the Knights of Columbus. Praying in every church, every denomination, to every god. Um, and, and then, of course, they asked O.J. about it, and as you probably know, O.J.'s response was, well, as always, I put my faith in the American the League jury, jury system, right. which is either incredibly naive or incredibly bright, depending on how you look at it, you know, because they, well, they did right by him last time. Well, you know, we talked about this, I think, um, the, the process for picking a jury for this. And, and because of technology, again, it is impossible to believe. It, it's, it doesn't make any sense anymore to expect anyone not to know anything about any particular case because we have instant access to everything. Right. So that's unrealistic anymore. And what, so what's going to have to happen again is that they're going to have to find people, 18 people, that can really separate themselves from the crap and focus on what's presented at trial. That's going to be hard to do. To find people that can do that is going to be hard. I cannot. I mean, this will be the absolute best example yet of, you know, for people who are really interested in how legal proceedings work. As you said, just the, I mean, even more so than the Jackson trial, I think, where they had a hard enough time finding a jury that claimed, they could claim with a straight face, I don't know anything about Michael Jackson. Right. Um, yeah, they can't ask that question anymore. They uh, have to, uh, the only question they can ask is, I know you know about him. How do you feel about him? What do you think about this? What do you think about that now? Can you can you separate all of that out? And, the, and, and they're going to have to figure if people can really do that. And then the next, what is the next step, and, and when does it happen? November 28th, uh, official arraignment. They'll have to answer to the charges and uh, enter a plea, and then it could take up to a year to really mount this trial. Mm. Not that it, I mean, I mean Yale Galanter could request a speedy trial, so it'll take maybe by the spring. April, May, kind of thing. You mean to start? But I don't think or to, will. To we, start, yeah. To start, okay. To start, to start the jury process. Ah, uh, it's just, just crazy. Just, That's I mean, going to take a month. It'll take a month to pick a jury. I have to tell you this, and somebody called up at the top of the show, and they, the guy said, "Well, I got, you know, I got, I got my fill of talking about this in '95 or whatever." And then I, and I, I loud as how that was true, but in a really real way. If you look at the OJ case as being like a movie or a novel, this really is. The perfect sort of postscript. This is the perfect afterward. This is the perfect way to end the whole O.J. Simpson saga in America. It is. It is absolutely like you had. It's like a John Grisham novel come to life. It really is. Well, I was really hoping that the judge was going to let him walk, just so he will talk. Right. Because his, uh, un, until this is over, his lawyer is going to keep a gag on him, even though he did blurt out a couple of lines to an AP reporter. Right. Um, which is why we all heard that, but no one had their microphones on. The, um, the the big the, the big issue with me was if the judge would have said you know what we're going there's not enough evidence we're not going to go to trial Mr Simpson you can go home now he would have just spouted off to beat the band oh, you know? absolutely it would have been great he doesn't really seem to have a good sense of restraint on him he doesn't have good sense period no uh just real quickly here I mean you're tired and under the gun and you got a whole bunch of stuff to do but uh, so you and so tonight you now you are you already at the uh, the, the UNLV or are you still are you kicking it in the hotel what are you doing right no, now I'm at the I'm sitting in the in the arena. All right. And then that gets underway, what, like two, two and a half hours, five o'clock? Yeah, five o'clock. Something like that. And uh, and it goes for two hours. So there you go. They're keeping all the razor blades away from me. <laughs> 
are they are you able to just you know vodka is a clear liquid i mean you could technically put that right in your aquafina well, bottle. I, I, as god is my witness i told that same thing to our really <laughs> eric our international you know we're way up here on the top let's see fantastic <laughs> all right my friend well i get you know what if anyone can get through this with a plum it is you jim rope we have uh, we have the faith of a thousand suns in you so. well i can't wait till start so i'll get a nap and then when it's over we'll recap <laughs> you can recap what do you think about the gym oh, it was great that was, was great wonderful whatever it was that happened all right brother enjoy the rest of your night if that's possible we'll talk to you very soon thank you sir thank you james roop all right, there you go. Jim Roop in Los Angeles. Man, if you lived in any of these cities where there's a writer's strike going on, wouldn't you just go down and watch the spectacle? I mean, every I single person on television and films, everything, every celebrity is just prancing around totally. out there. Well, did you ever see that? Did you see that aerial shot of L.A. where the writer's strike was going no. on? It was a shot from a newscopter. And it was like, it would look like a riot. I mean, in, in, in the sense that there were just people filling the street. It, it looked like a thousand people. I'm just surprised they're not getting accosted by like turbo fans paparazzi and everything. And, yeah, oh, yes, stalkers. And, because if you they all go, know every, exactly where all of them are. If you want to go find Larry David, now's your chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And they're going in four-hour shifts. So every four hours, it's a new batch of celebrities. Because it's, yeah, they're doing like eight to noon, noon to four, four to eight. All right. Let's see here. Okay, Roop, done. So should we just play Steve Castamon's thing really quickly? Uh, yes, Geeks Night Out, done. So we've got news coming up. Okay, let's do Steve Kastenbaum's thing, and then we got to talk to the, we got to find the low. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So this is on CNN.com. All right. So now we we'll just get a little backstory here. So um, we were talking to, to Steve Kastenbaum earlier. We were talking about the writers' strike, and Sarah had heard a thing or read a thing in the Post, but Steve hadn't heard of this. That Tina Fey and the, and some of the people from SNL are doing live stage performances of Thirty Rock and of Saturday Night Live. With the pro at twenty bucks a head, with the proceeds going to the Writers Guild as a nice little fu to the networks as well. And Steve was like, "Hey, I gotta get on that." So we tipped, or Sarah tipped off Steve to the story, and it looks like he's now actually filed a report on it. Are you going through withdrawal because you can't enjoy moments like this right now? I just wanted to let the American people know that live from New York, it's Saturday night. Well, you may not be able to see new episodes of Saturday Night Live on NBC at the moment because of the writers' strike. But a few lucky ticket holders will see the cast live on stage this weekend. The SNL crew will perform skits from the show at the New York Upright Citizens Brigade Theater Saturday night. And the cast of 30 Rock will do the same on Monday night. The shows are benefiting the Writers Guild of America. Steve Kastenbaum, CNN, New York. How great is that? That's so awesome. I sent him the YouTube uh, link, too, for the music. He's like, do you know where any Saturday Night Live music is? So Excellent. You, that, the music. That is, uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. It is you cool. influenced CNN's reporting. You, Sarah, and Dillon. he's lucky enough to have the New York Post in his hand every day. Yeah, you did that. Look at you. It's a story, right? I know, but it's cool. It is cool. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, you know, that is a way in which our jobs are not like the jobs of other people. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be like, look at us with the great job, but it is, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. You know what I mean? Uh, that is really weird, actually, because that's all around the country. It, it's a weird thing that you can just casually mention something to a guy that we're talking to on the phone. Just kind of yucking away with a guy, and the next thing you know, people all around the country are hearing a CNN news report that you sort of inadvertently caused. So it's kind of cool. All right, uh, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. So did you get his phone number? The low. Yeah. No. Um, well, I can run upstairs and get it right now. Yeah. If we want to do the popcorn thing. I or can play wanna... more of the Walkman. All right. So we're not taking a break. 
Uh, I'm just going to run up to my office and back down. Take like 30 seconds. I'm timing you. We're not taking a break. I will okay. be I will be right back. Uh, I'm just going to run up to my, my room. So you, be... Okay, one, two, three, All go. Right. When you walk through the door, it's 25 seconds. Yeah, in your face. Yeah. How's that panting going? <laughs> Jesus, I'm fat. All right. Hey, at least you got your exercise for the day. It's true. Hold on. Man, you should come tonight, Rick. It's going to be a rat show. Doug Fur? Doug Fur. It's, it's, yeah. Okay, hold Raul on. Raul says one of the best um, like live shows we've ever seen. All right. All right, here we go. All right, so well, let's see. We are looking for... Lowe's contact info. All right. Low. All right, here we go. All right. So. God damn, I suck. All right. So do I want to call him on my cell or do we want to call him? Let's here? do it on the air. He wouldn't mind. All right. Well, let's make sure we get his explicit permission. Okay. Right. You know, I have no idea what he does at 2.25 in the afternoon. It occurs to me now. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, where he's working. Hello? Uh, hello. Hey, the low? Uh, yes. Hey, it's Rick. You're on the air. Oh, what's go- hey, you're on oh, the air. Is that, you're on the air. Is that okay with you? Oh, let me see if I'll be fired here. Hold on. All right. Second. Hold on. No, I'm good. Let's, what's up? All right. Okay. Just had to get your explicit permission up top there. All right. Uh, how's life? How are things? Fantastic. You'll never guess why we're calling. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. So Sarah and I had this great idea um, that... So are you working? <laughs> well, I guess you could call it that, yeah. And, and, and the really messed up thing about it... Because I'm listening to the podcast, and you guys call me. Yeah, so you'll get to hear this all again in like an hour. Um, no, so if this doesn't work, I understand. Um, but we've gone, to, we've gone to great effort to, and I apologize to everybody for how creepy and stalky this sounds. Sarah and I have gone to great effort to actually find the hotel where... I went to great effort. I'm the one who sounded like a creepy stalker person yes. talking to Lisa. So we actually have found the hotel where Lisa Desjardins and James Roop are staying. Now. Oh, cool. So they are actually UNLV right now uh, for the debate and they're doing the coverage, and they're, they're not going to be back there forever. So Sarah and I had this great idea that because Jim especially is hating his life right now, and, okay. uh, and you know, and Lisa's probably not hating her life, but gosh darn it, we like her too. Well, she I, told me she had some vodka. Did she say she already had some vodka? 
I asked her if her and Jim uh, had any drinks together, and she's like, yeah, I had I had my shot of vodka. See, and she likes had, vodka. Um, some Chardonnay. So I had this idea that if you were somehow able to do this, and if schedule does not permit, I understand that. We've all got our lives to, to lead. Um, we were thinking a couple mini bottles of vodka for Lisa and a couple mini bottles of whiskey for Jim. We'll get you the hotel information. You just drop them at the front desk with a little note. You know, the Rick Emerson show and audience and, you know, low and the, 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 the enjoy on us, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll just uh, I'll I'll like uh, PayPal you uh, the cash whatever it is it costs. Okay, what what um I'm trying to think where I, where I can get some mini bottles where I'm at today. Oh yeah, because in Vegas it's got to be really difficult. Well, <laughs> it's not so much difficult, but I don't work in Vegas, so I have to drive oh. back over the mountain to get into Vegas. Wait, so. How far away? How do you far live? away from Vegas are you? Uh, probably about. Well, if you're looking at the strip, I'm probably a good 35 minutes away. But that's actually the the strip is really close to where I live, so I, I'm always going back that way anyway. Well, keep in mind they the, the debate doesn't even start until five. It's a two-hour debate, and then they're still at UNLV for the wrap-up. So I mean, I would imagine you know they're going to be there till you know for for like they're going to be where they are right now for like another five six hours at least. Okay, sweet, sweet. So uh, here we go. Now again, there um, there is, and again, we will not take it. The, the person there's no shame in saying you can't do it. It's not going to work. Can't happen. Whatever. No, that seems way out of his way. Well, no, but he's no, are, you, where he, are you kidding me? It's it's only I, I out of his way. I to make those guys feel like they're being stalked. This is awesome. <laughs> and it, and it's only out of his way from where he works, not from where he lives. Yeah, I'm going back that way when I get out of here anyway. And, and I don't off. work on Friday, so I'm off after after I get out of here. I'm done for the yeah, weekend. Yeah, he lives near the city. Okay, what, what time there. are you off? Uh, five o'clock. Only perfect because the debate starts in two hours. Yeah, five ten. Or the thing, five ten. And it goes for two hours. Seven ten. Seven. Which is perfect because if they have to be there, and they're gonna do wrap up after. for the debate. Yeah, for the debate at five, that gives me the time to get out of here, go run where I need to run, and drop the stuff off. And I can probably, um, I, well, you're on the air, so I can't ask you where to stand. But um, uh, I'll, what I'll do is I'll put you on hold, and Sarah can talk to you. Okay, what am I supposed? Mini bottles of vodka for Lisa. <laughs> So we're thinking a couple mini bottles of vodka for Lisa and a couple mini bottles of what, like whiskey, something, Jack for Jim? Yeah. Okay, because that's, you know, you can't go wrong with whiskey. Um, I think I saw him drink whiskey when he was here. I think he'll drink anything. It doesn't drink him first. I think he has a drinking problem. <laughs> so let's, in, let's enable. I think, has, I think he has a bamboo flute problem. <laughs> So, yeah, so, but we're all getting really loopy today. So, vodka for Lisa, and then whatever for Jim, anything alcoholic for Jim, and then you just let me know how much it, how much it is, and and I'll yeah, I'll just like I'll PayPal you, uh, like uh, tomorrow, uh, whatever it costs you, and then blah blah blah, and then I figured maybe just like a little, from from you know, from the Rick Emerson the the Rick Emerson show audience family, family. from the Rick Emerson family fam from the Rick Emerson family. <laughs> I tell you what, can you um. Uh, well, can we know, email you the information? Okay, yeah, do that, and then uh, can you include in the email what whatever you want me to to say to them or put? Because obviously I'm gonna have to stick it on a card or something. I'll tell you what, let's let's do this actually, Sarah. We got to take a break anyway. Come back with Tim. Let's take a break right here. Uh, we'll put you on hold for a second. Sarah will talk to you. We'll figure out how to coordinate everything. Okay, cool. All right, hold on just a second. Don't go anywhere. All right. All right, back after this. Still to come, Tim Riley. Uh, Tom Likas, Likas 101 at 5 o'clock, down to Mike at 7, and uh, so forth. You sit here. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program.
Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. Uh, like us at 3, like us 101 at 5, Don and Mike at 7. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, please pay heed to Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Oh, sports fans, we have this bulletin here. Is uh, this breaking news? I suppose it is, yes. Oh, wait, I guess it would help if I actually had the breaking news center. Ladies and gentlemen, this breaking news... <laughs> Barry Bonds has been indicted on perjury and obstruction of justice charges. Oh. Culminating a four-year federal investigation into whether he lied under oath to a grand jury about steroid use by elite athletes. The indictment comes three months after the 43-year-old Bonds passed Hank Aaron to become baseball's career home run leader. He parted ways with the San Francisco Ants after that season. While Bonds was chasing Aaron, a grand jury was working behind closed doors to put the finishing touches on the long-rumored indictment. Once again, Barry U.S. Bonds has been indicted on perjury and obstruction of justice charges. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, the former teen heartthrob, Corey Haim, is trying to make a buck. According to his official website, not to be confused with others, uh, he's auctioning off memorabilia from his career on eBay, including jackets he wore in two of his movies, and an autographed snowboard from his recently canceled lay in these series, the two Corys. <laughs> like, like you want anything from a recently canceled series. Mm -hmm. By definition, no one wants the series or anything involved with it, including Haim himself. Please tell me he's auctioning off something for the Lost Boys. Uh, yes, he is. <gasps> oh. McRib is back. What is I'm it? Let me, let me look here. Two jackets he wore in two of his movies, so it could be, but he's not saying which ones. So it's, a, it's a grab bag. Uh, he has been in license to drive the Lost Boys and blown away. But it's probably not from any of those films. The two Corys, Star of the Hame and his fellow former teen star, the Corey Hame. Feldman. He's a former drug addict and recently suffered a drug-induced stroke. He filed for bankruptcy and spent time in rehab. Wait, when did he have a stroke? I don't remember reading that. Mm. He had a stroke? He's like 12. When did he... He had a drug-induced stroke? Uh-huh. That's what it Boy, you know... Oh, that I gotta, ain't good. I gotta tell you, not to sound like a prude, but that's another reason why I do not fill myself with mounds and mounds of cocaine. Uh, because that bad things happen. At least not mounds and mounds of it. No. A small mound. One mound. Because <laughs> uh, Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, same thing. When that guy was only... I mean, he's older now, but I think when he was like 35, maybe, mm -hmm. he was doing so much cocaine that he had a stroke, and not like the left half of his body just flops around. And he was the drummer for Guns N' Roses. I mean, and now he just sort of shuffles around dragging half of himself. So, yeah, you don't want to do that. Hold on, I'm putting Corey Haim into eBay right now. Uh, let's see here. All categories. Bring me back something. All right, here we go. No, these are all just DVDs. I swear, do you not believe me about the rotting tooth thing? You really did. Well, I, I'm not. It's not that I don't believe you. I just didn't hear about it. Although, I, I, I mean, they did that thing with selling Britney's toast at one point. Uh, okay, I'm going to keep looking this up. Here's Tim Riley. Well, Trouble Soul singer Amy Winehouse kicked off her 17-tour date with a shambolic performance that sent fuming fans booing and marching out last night. A what performance? It says here, a shambolic performance. Okay. This is from uh, is it British? England. Yes, it is. Ah, okay. This concert was in the uh, indoor arena at Birmingham. Uh, apparently, she had some health issues, uh, but during her gig last night, apparently, she snapped at the audience. Uh, she said, quote, let me tell you something. First of all, if you're booing, you're a mug for buying a ticket. Secondly, for all those booing, wait till my husband gets out of in incarceration, and I mean that. 
Said the music critic, it was the saddest night of my life. Please I seem an extremely talented artist reduced to tears, stumbling around the stage and unforgivingly swearing at the audience. Please tell me that there's video of this somewhere. She, I looked. She fell into the guitar stand and dropped the microphone. It was atrocious. Afro the song dedicated style. to her husband was so bad, it was like swinging a cat around your head. Her singing was awful, out of tune and slurred. She sang for about 15 minutes and drank throughout. Excellent. I've never seen so many people leave a show. I think someone has fallen prey to her own image. Mm -hmm. I think someone has begun to believe her own uh, record company manufactured look. Ugh, all right. Well, I guess you can quit worrying about her now. Uh, Valerie, the closing number, descended into chaos when Winehouse stopped singing, dropped the microphone, and stormed off stage. All right. Uh, let's. I think those things are always better in retrospect. In mm -hmm. other words... I think Jim Morrison being like a drunken, babbling, out-of-control nitwit, I think that's kind of sexy and romantic and tragic or whatever, like, in 1980 or yeah. now. I think at the time, uh, when you don't really view Jim Morrison as, like, the deceased icon, when you, you view him as a guy that you paid $20 to see sing, and you go in and he just unzips his fly and passes out, I think it's a lot less interesting or romantic than I think you just feel like you've been swindled out of $50 for a ticket. Nirvana's Unplugged in New York is finally coming to DVD. The 1993 performance was one of the most successful episodes of the MTV acoustic-based series. And uh, Mark's, uh, let's see, uh, one of Kurt uh, Cobain's final performances. It'll provide even more content than past versions of the Unplugged in New York effort. The complete unedited show includes the songs about a girl, Come As You Are, Jesus Don't Want Me to Have a Sunburn, The Man Who Sold the World, uh, Petty Royalty, Dumb Polly on a Pain, Something in the way, plateau, oh me, lay the fire, all apologies, who did I sleep with last night? Look for the home video in stars, November 20th. I'm sorry, I thought you were doing like a like an Allen Ginsberg poem or something. Oh, November 20th. Moloch, the destroyer! Uh, all right, uh, I'm looking on eBay and I don't see any, I gotta, you know, that eBay thing has just crept into my dialogue since I heard Don say it. Um, Maybe you took it down already. The uh, It's gone, I can't find any uh, Corey Haim clothing on eBay. Doesn't appear to be there at all. Hmm. Well, it would be completely, totally bereft. Although there is a Corey Haim for President 2008 no, shirt. Well, they have a still of it on TMZ. Really? Yeah, because the last time he did it, he was hawking his uh, teeth and body hair. <laughs> I can't believe you guys don't remember this. Hawking his teeth and body hair. The, the Corey Haim story. Oh, my God. Oh, no. McRib is so back. You don't even know. Okay. So we didn't mention this, or did we, on the air that, uh, that Dante dropped off his copy of Angus? Did we actually mention that on the air? No, not yet, I don't think. So Dante, God bless him, dropped off a VHS copy of Angus, uh, the movie. Guess what else he dropped off, Sarah? What? Some candy. Candy. No. He mentioned this on the air some time back, but I didn't think we'd ever really get it. This is uh, the day that uh, I announced I had a piece of Ozzy's gum and Sarah Dillon's finger clippings, fingernail clippings. Oh, did he drop off Pink's hair? It is a sealed plastic bag in which is a hat worn by pop singstress Pink. And there are, in fact, strands of Pink's hair in here. Can you see them? Well, no, I'd have to open the bag. Oh, wait, no, there they are. Look on the outside. Pink's hair. This doesn't look like tried? people hair. It looks like dog hair. Well, maybe it's from Pink's dog. Although, to be fair, I could open the bag and look inside the hat, which is, it's a knit cap of some Please kind. Please return to Pink. so weird. I'm weird. Why am I weird? Because is this not going to go on your wall with your gum from Ozzy Osbourne it and is. your guitar pick and everything? And my Sarah Dillon Didn't fingernails. You? How did she lose a hat? Uh, I think he probably stole it from her. Oh. That would be my guess. Um, I, oh, I found them. I'm totally packing this up on my wall. Two Corey's snowboard. 
Okay, a little silver bullet jacket worn by Corey Haim for $11,000. Now, where did you find this? Did you just I put just in Corey Haim? Corey Haim, or I mean, eBay'd him, yeah. Well, that's weird, because I didn't. I got no results for this. Did all you right. spell it C-O-R-E-Y? Yeah, although I only looked in clothing. Did you look in all? Maybe you're on a different internet. Maybe. I'm on a subpar internet. I'm on a different tube. Uh, hi, you're on the, oh, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest uh, newsman in the history of the world, Tim Riley, back at four, five, six, and 7, top of the hour, all the way through like us. Uh, uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about American Gangster. Okay, uh, the series or the movie? Uh, the movie. Go. I found it a little bit disturbing to watch after one of the first scenes. Um, is Russell Crowe's boss, that freak from Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. Yeah, I just, it was disturbing to watch the whole movie whenever he was in it. Now, it's, that guy has tried really hard to not be Buffalo Bill uh, forever, but, you know, what are you going to do? All I could do is just envision him uh, over that little tunnel that that lady's in. You know, yeah. It's, yes. Yeah, but I mean, but otherwise, how great a film was American Gangster? Uh, definitely four thumbs up. And i got to tell you, I'm actually not, I'm not much of, like, when it comes to music, I, I have a limited taste uh, for like mid seventies, uh, like R and B, you know, or funk. But I gotta tell you, I have the soundtrack to American Gangster. I thought it's actually really, really great. And there's some originals on there. Uh, there's some instrumental originals by Hank Shockley, um, on the American Gangster soundtrack. And I strongly recommend picking it up. So it's, uh, it's actually really great. And the movie is, I, and I don't think it was number one last week. I think that B movie kind of overtook it. Um, mm -hmm. because, you know, children. Uh, but American Gangster, it is probably the best thing that Ridley Scott has done since Blade Runner. It's a fantastic film. Great cast. Um, very much in sort of the, the Goodfellas Godfather vein, uh, but but very much its own film, its own original work, stands on its own two feet. It's a great movie. Really, people ought to go see it. It's it's fantastic. Definitely agreed. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. We have to break? Oh, eventually. I can't believe we didn't have a Britney watch today. Well, we've got Britney news. I mean, we had a Britney watch pulled. We just didn't get to it. I mean, well, you've seen, I mean, you've seen how much stuff we don't get to every day. I can do it myself. I really think that we should, because it's kind right. of hilarious. And, it ha and it's going to happen tomorrow, so it's going to be out of date tomorrow. Oh, well, wait. Are we talking about the second? Are you talking about this? What are you talking about? Um, Do you have the story in front of you? I'm trying to find it. Well, while it's through the Britney watch, I'll read this, and then you can read your story. Maybe I'm not even, story, I don't though. even really know what you're talking about. Okay. Well, that's one All excuse right. to play the theme. All right. Fantastic. Here's your Britney watch for Thursday. All right, so I've got story number one. Britney in second urgent session says that I love the British uh, tablets. Lawyers representing Britney Spears have been summoned to court this week for a second emergency hearing in the uh, Star's child custody case. Spears and former husband Kevin Federline have been engaged in legal proceedings to settle their dispute over how much time she spends with their sons. A previous session was held last Thursday to discuss her drug testing. Federline's attorneys have requested the latest hearing tomorrow amid concerns about the singer's driving. Recently, a video was released which showed the star running a red light where her kids were asleep in the back car and a court-appointed monitor was in the vehicle slumping down. Spears' attorney said she was being mobbed by paparazzi. This was not irresponsible driving on her part. Okay, that's the, the part that I got here. Okay, well, I, I lost the other story. I can't find it right now. Okay, 
Uh, it seems that Britney has to contend with what looks like a botched lip job. Yeah. The pop wreck was snapped driving while text messaging in Beverly Hills on Wednesday, sporting a red, inflamed, infected-looking lip. Well done. Um, while injections have gone wrong, uh, maybe the culprit was her excuse for the bad skin and nails. Blah, blah. Look at her lip. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, It's damn. bad. Her whole uh, upper lip between her nose and her lips is all completely bright red. Damn. She's screwed. She shouldn't have tinkered I with that. I wonder if that was like her trying to get the lip reversed or something. You know what I mean? Because she looked bad a couple weeks ago. Like when she got, cause she got her lips collagen. That seems obvious. Yeah. But, it, 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 I mean, is that like her trying to get it undone well, it be. or reversed? It's, no, I bet maybe it just settled and it's like just stuck in there wrong. <laughs> her lips have finally settled. She also settled. ran over another paparazzi's foot and there was a thing about how now she's saying the third drug that she was taking is Adderall. Now they're going, to, they're going to court for her drug testing tomorrow. Now she's saying she has ADD. Well, first it was it was a false positive. This was the first story because she she because she she failed the drug test and it was like it was an amphetamine. So the lawyer's first response was no 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 that's a false positive. They found that it wasn't. Then they said well it's provigil, and then they said sorry we don't test provigil. What's provigil? Provigil is like an ADD drug. Okay. Um. So that was the second excuse. Is oh no it's provigil, and they said no we don't test for that. The third excuse was, oh, I'm sorry, it's albuterol, which is a asthma, asthma inhaler. Medic. And they said, sorry, we don't test for that either. So now the fourth story is what? That it's Adderall? That it's Adderall, that she has ADD, and um, that's the only thing that can keep it under. I'm trying to find this. Is this the worst picture ever taken of her? What do you think? No. Oh, she's got big man hands in this picture, too. She's huge. Like, she keeps getting the fake nails, and then she'll pick them off. It is Classy. so gross. It's like she has like these little stumpy, like half plastic. I love the idea of Brittany picking nails. parts of herself away. Well, because she'll have them done one day, and I'm like, wow, she's really getting herself together. You know, she finally, you can tell when somebody gets fake acrylic nails, like I have. You should have a contest on your blog, Sarah, sarahxdillon.com, to have the, the audience find the worst picture ever of her. That's a great idea. Here it is. Okay, TMZ has learned that Britney Spears will now play the ADD card in court tomorrow, arguing that her medication caused a positive reading on the drug test. As we reported, a source connected to Britney's first said provigil, blah, 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 what you just said. Um, then they said asthma. So now ADD, just like Paris, and based on our information, we believe Britney's prescription is for Adderall. If that, drug, uh, that drug fits the bill because it is an amphetamine. And, of course, yeah, it's based like Ritalin. And, of course, how telling that they only arrived at that after their first three excuses were shot down. Ugh. Jesus, what a train wreck. So we'll have Britney tomorrow. Britney News tomorrow. Yeah. Fantastic. There's your Britney Watch for Thursday. We'll be back after this. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. Our thanks go out to CNN radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins, James Roop, and uh, Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Andy Lindbergh from andylindbergh.com, known as Lardas to his friends. Uh, Rick Emerson Show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970 Solid State Radio, a proud part of the CBS radio family. In the newsroom, it's Tim Riley. On the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeepers, Dave Zinn, and, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Reynolds. Uh, are also the, uh, thanks also to Dante for dropping off uh, pink hair. And also Angus on VHS, plus the low. 
uh, for helping us deliver a little gift of alcoholic love uh, to our friends Lisa and Jim. All right, like us next, like uh, 60 seconds from now. Like us 101 at 5 o'clock, Donna Mike at 7. We will see you all tomorrow when our guests will include Aaron Duran of GeekInTheCity.com and FilmFeverRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Bye now.